Christy. Mm-hmm. When I say I did research, I've got dates. I've got complex names. I have paragraphs explaining the Arab-Israeli conflict. Okay? Even before we jump into this podcast episode of Wheels Up, this great episode, this is going to be a long, long one, besties. I have a oh, gentle listeners. Oh, this listeners. is going to end up being one of our, like, three-hour powerhouse episodes. <sighs> yeah. Unfortunately. I know. This is going to be the same length as the new Batman movie, basically. This is our <laughs> Batman. Is that movie worth watching? Because I do love Robert Pattinson. Okay, actually, I saw it yesterday. I think it's a very good movie. I don't think it necessarily needed to be three hours long, but I sure. think it's a very good movie and worth okay. at least one watch. Even if you just pirate it, it's worth it. I think I, it's worth at least one. Robert Pattinson plays a really good Bruce Wayne, actually. I like, love his acting. Also, like, he got the like antisocial, like poorly acclimated weirdo <laughs> thing down so bad. So bad. Did you see what he said in an interview? He's like, I played this dark Sonic to get in character. Like, fuck no, you. I he, love it. No, he said that this Batman definitely jerks off like three times a day. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard that and I was like, I have to go see this Batman movie. This is a weird antisocial Batman. Have you seen a lot of the Batman movies? Do you like know about Batman? I do know about Batman and I've seen The Dark Knight Rises. I've seen a lot of other like DC stuff. Oh. I didn't watch Ben Affleck's Batman. Me neither. I skipped that one, but I watched The Dark Knight Rises. Or the my Dark Knight. favorite, for the, the people who know will know, my favorite Batman movie is Batman and Robin. Oh, it's, those are the one of the 90s ones, right? It's George Clooney as Batman, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. nipple suits on the bat suit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, What's her face from Clueless as Batgirl, Alicia Silverstone. You've uh-huh. got Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Yeah. Who like has wears poison lipstick and at one point she kisses Robin and he pulls off like plastic lips he was wearing to avoid her poison. Batman has a bat credit card. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> plays Mr. Freeze. Yeah. It's- yeah, I do know what one you're talking about. I had it on VHS. And I had no idea people thought it was a bad movie. I watched it all the time. <laughs> I loved it. I was into it. This is the it. height of cinema. The height of cinema. I had no idea it was considered like the worst Batman movie until I went and saw like the first, like the Dark Knight Rises. And I was like, why is this so sad? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I feel like this is a really good modern adaptation of The Riddler. Just go Mm -hmm. see it. I'll stop talking. I don't think this movie needed to be three hours long, but this podcast definitely needed to be three hours long. (laughs) Brought it back, baby. That's called a segue. I'm the best in the biz for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) This one's going to be really long, so this is your warning that you should probably grab your sodas, grab your popcorns, get all cozied up in your bed or whatever. And just strap the fuck in, besties, because we're going on a ride with this one. Ladies and gentlemen, please see that light is on. You can stay in your seats as we ascend into the air. B, would you like to talk about our podcast, Wheels Up? I would love to talk about season two, episode 10, Lessons Learned, here on our podcast, Wheels Up. James, yeah. that was a good intro. Thank we you. really did. I'm not going to lie. We did it. I think we can start calling ourselves the best in the biz now, just because I think it's a funny little thing to call us. 
the best in the biz. The most We're famous the podcast you've never heard of. We're the best. This is a wild episode of Criminal Minds, isn't it? There's a lot going on. <laughs> there is so much going on in this episode. I messaged B and it was like, hey, I'm 10 minutes in, but I have some like fun little things. They do a couple of like, they do like one callback and one little like hinty line, like a couple of things that I was really like, ooh. Um, but then the actual like meat episode. of the episode. Yeah, not so good. Yeah. Okay. These side dishes, the cornbread is delicious. The main course is a little under-seasoned and a little terrible. So true. <laughs> it's a little gamey. It's a little gamey. It's a okay. little bad. So we start with a DEA raid on a house that's like boarded up from the inside. The woman in charge bursts down the door. Her name's Bonnie. Um, the house is empty. And she's like, what the fuck? And she like radios whoever and is like, did anyone leave? People saw them go inside 45 minutes ago. No one has left, but there's no one there. So they're like, that's weird. We thought this was like a meth lab. Why is it so sneaky? Mm -hmm. Um, And then she finds an escape tunnel under a trap door. And she's like, that's weird for a meth lab. (laughs) Um, And then this guy is like, Boss, you gotta come in here. And then she. That's weird. That's suspicious. <laughs> That's suspicious. Suspicious? That's weird. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's okay. It's fine. We're not gonna age our podcast with TikTok me references. <laughs> That's suspicious. Not any more than we already have. <laughs> I know, for real. Um, we're gonna be a dated podcast about a dated show. Okay. The guy's like, boss, you got to get in here. He throws back a tarp and it looks like some sort of bomb. Mm-hmm. Off, Like, just looking at it, you're like, oh, shit, that's probably a bomb. So then Hutch, Hutch's house. Hutch sleeps on his back, arms crossed on his stomach. His phone rings once and its eyes open, sitting up. Phone. I was like, yeah, all right. He is a right. vampire. He is 100% a vampire. I was like, this tracks. Yeah. Uh, and he wears his stupid little boxers. Thomas Gibson has said like Hotch is 100% a boxers guy. Um, I don't super understand what that means. Boxers confuse me. You might as well not be wearing underwear. I don't get it. Whatever. He's wearing boxers. Do yeah. they not bunch up in your pants? Whatever. I'm not that much. Um, he's awake. And he goes, Hotchner, when? Did they raise the terror alert? That's probably for the best. Get everyone in now. And it's like, uh-oh, what's happening? And Haley's like... Haley's like, it's 6.15 <laughs> in the morning? Why are you yelling about the terror alert? She's, and yeah, honestly, literally. so true, Haley. So true. She goes, is it bad? And he's like, no, no, it's not bad. And she's like, hodge. And he's like, yeah, okay, fine, it might be bad. <laughs> I like how she just, like, shames him a little bit into revealing information. Yeah. Um, And then he's like, oh, shit, like, you were going to take, we were going to take Jack to get his pictures taken tomorrow. But definitely, like, if this is happening, I'm not going to be home. Do it anyway. It'll be fine. And she's like, okay. And then he, like, runs out with his, like, pants open, shirt open, like, shit in his arms. And he's like, bye, and leaves. And it grabs his gun. And it's like, put your fucking shirt on. This is the most... Honestly, I do enjoy their, like, 
married dynamic here. Yeah. I just have to say, I have to point it out because I think it's a lovely little start to the episode. Yeah. I love how she's just like so used to his shit by now. She's like, okay, is it something to worry about though? And he's like, yeah, it yeah, is. Like, <laughs> like, I just uh, like their married couple dynamic here. I also cute. don't understand how Hotch leaves his apartment or leaves his house shirt unbuttoned tie not done does he like i mean do you do that while you're driving he must i'm trying to think so i had always assumed that hodge probably lived in fairfax virginia but Haley goes to mclean for the mall openings the mall openings in mclean so i'm like maybe they live like over there, like kind of bougie, like the nice suburbs area. I mean, yeah, he's a high-ranking FBI agent. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of like what traffic would be like. And I don't think there'd be very much traffic. I mean, unless he took 295, and I don't know why he would if he lives that close. So I think I think he does it in the parking garage. Of the FBI. <laughs> he drives to Quantico, does his shit. Like, you know, he like looks over at JJ's like doing her makeup in the <laughs> mirror, you know, while he's like yeah. doing his shirt. Like they no one talks about it, but they all are like in a line getting dressed. Emily shows up completely pressed at all times. She is perfect. No this one ever sees episode, her. She's like yeah. she's like, nobody is gonna catch me slipping on my first actual day of work. Yeah. I okay, I did a little outfit check. So JJ's in this terrible brown outfit. I wrote god awful brown outfit, not worth mentioning her brown fit. Exactly. <laughs> brown fit. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. Right. I have to. Ever ever since fucking growfit became yeah. like a term that's in my head, every time I see somebody wearing two of the same colors, I'm like, brow fit, blue fit, red fit. Like, I don't <laughs> know why. It's just like in my brain, I have to. That is so funny. I literally thought brown fit, and then I was like, don't be the one who says brown fit on the podcast. I'm glad you said it first. I'm glad I'm the devil on your shoulder, and you're also the devil on my shoulder, and it's just a lot of progressively smaller devils on smaller shoulders going back. It just back. steps higher and higher and higher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Emily is wearing, beneath her blazer, the tightest button down known to man. And honestly, so true. When we see her in it later. Thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you for your goddamn service to America. She, it is like, they must have put that shit on her and pinned it. It is so tight, but does, but does not pull at her breasts somehow. But it's still impressive. so that tight. That is impressive shirt magic right there. If yeah. I had that shirt, I would never wear anything else. Yeah. And it's got like huge, wide, sharp collars and like the big, chunky, folded over French cut. Oh, yeah. Emily Prentice, she never dresses like this again. But it's such a good look. Every time I see her in this episode, it's such a good look. Every time I see her in this episode, I'm like, one, who is this baby? Okay. <laughs> and two, what are you wearing, Emily Prentice? I love What you. are you wearing? Yeah. Reed is wearing a gay little purple scarf. He is. He's wearing his gay little scarf. We say this with absolute love in our hearts, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I also own a gay little purple scarf. I was like looking at him and I was like, Reed, you look extra gay this episode. Like, you're just like wearing a purple scarf. No one else is acting like it's chilly. That was an accessory scarf. Yeah, he was just like, I am going to wear this scarf. Reed went, oh no, a brow fit. Let me add a tasteful purple scarf. Um, And JJ's like, yeah, I'll just put keep my tits out it'll be fine no one will notice 
I mean, she's just vibing with Penelope this episode. Uh, I do gotta say, I do like her. I think her pants could work in like a in like a gay mm-hmm. kind of way. I just don't think the brown top was the way to make those pants work. You put those with like black button down, maybe, or like gray trench coat. I would have been like there for it. Suddenly, you have an outfit. Even like a little bit of a billowy brown blouse, like mm-hmm. like a little more shapeless on the top, and then she has like the tight pants. Like it could have worked in like a seventies hot girl flashback, and instead it was just kind of like okay, brown fit, like <laughs> brown fit. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sometimes words just will not let me rest until I say them and Broutfit is one of them. <laughs> so true. Okay, so Hotch comes in. Okay, I love Emily, Hotch, Penelope, Derek are already there. Clearly yeah. looking at papers and shit and then Hotch comes in and goes, did everybody meet Agent Prentice? And I was like, no, Hotch, they've just been sitting in complete silence for 45 minutes. Absolutely something Reed would do though. Absolutely something Reed sure. would do. For sure. Um, but then Penelope's like, yeah, I met her the other day, which is an interesting mm-hmm. comment. Um, and then JJ says, I've been filling her in on protocol. I bet you have, bestie. I bet you have been filling her in on protocol Ooh. in a lot of different ways. Yeah. You've been mm-hmm. filling her in all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and Patrick, then- Mr. please come on our podcast. We promise it won't be weird. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the clip we send is our, it's his gay little scarf. And then like, I bet you've been filling her in on protocol. Like, okay. Yeah. Emily shakes Derek's hand. She's like very adorable. And then, uh, and then Hotch, Hotch goes, has everyone met Agent Prentice? We can make life nice later. <laughs> I know. He was like, you will get, you will get one introduction. That is it. Everything else. You're on thin fucking ice. We'll make nice later. Bye. Okay. So JJ says the DEA raided what they thought was a hardcore meth lab. I feel like all meth labs are kind of by nature hardcore, hardcore but okay. Uh, and they found some sort of dispersal device for a chemical. She like shows the picture and Derek is like, oh gosh. Um, and then JJ's like, they think it could be Al-Qaeda. And Reed's like, Reed looks at Emily and says, you know, Al-Qaeda can do really sophisticated things with like normal materials, soda cans, etc. And then Emily goes, it's called a leak. Tara, literally the invention. And everyone's like, um, okay. okay. And Reed's like, she's right. I love that she is like, her character trait this episode is giving Reed a little run for his gay little money. Like, <laughs> she said, you will not be the only gay genius in this office. I'm here now. They really started this episode with like, lesbian gay solidarity yeah yeah exactly (laughs) they really did and i love that i also love that like they're really doing that like emily's a woman of mystery she like speaks arabic she knows about al-qaeda she like is all smart and put together and like hot but they all think she's like a nepotism baby yeah yeah she's like she's like surprise assholes like (laughs) shocker I am Shut smart. Up. Some of us are sexy and smart. That's only princess. Some of us really <laughs> do have it all. Yeah. So, but they say that they, yeah, that's what the weapon is, but they don't know what they were going to distribute or like what that was. Everyone escaped, but get this: the DEA found a Nextel two-way. A Nextel. For those few youngins, I had a Nextel two-way. It's a cell phone 
that also works as a walkie-talkie. A fucking course that was a thing. Yeah, okay. That tracks. That's what I sure. had. Yeah, they're like for construction workers. So you don't have to also have a walkie-talkie. It works as a walkie-talkie. Um, but it also gets texts, which is why they found the message. Uh, and then JJ's like, yeah, here's the message. And she just like puts it down and Emily goes, takes it. And JJ goes, oh no, that's not translated. And Emily just starts reading Arabic. I have a note to say about this. I saw a Tumblr post once about someone who was Arabic and about how like bullshit this is because yeah. there's like a million dialects. Mm-hmm. And even if Emily knew like a few, this on the spot translating is not something you can do. Like Arabic is not like French mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. This on the spot translation is not the way it goes. But I will give them credit, or at least give Patrick Brewster credit, that she is pretending to read it from left to right. And Arabic is written from left to right. Okay, so one plus one point minus a yeah. hundred to the writers, but Padgett Brewster is up is, is up one in this app. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. I'm going to say she's up two because she's also just pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Padgett Brewster, please come on our podcast. We promise it won't be weird. <laughs> and we super chill. I promise I'll put on my master's degree hat. Um, and only tell you a pretty a couple times. Okay. Penelope Garcia immediately develops a crush on Emily Prentice. Oh yeah, 1,000%. She is across the table, fully just like eyes emoji, pink cheeks, like, oh my god, she's hot You know she and JJ were like gossiping the rest of this app, like, oh my god, do you think Emily's single? Like, (laughs) they were absolutely gossiping in Garcia's little office this app. Both of them were like, hey, I know like you and I are the besties who kiss, but what if we had like a third bestie who kissed i just think like <laughs> adding a brunette to the mix might be fun like it'd be fun and exciting <laughs> she doesn't have any friends in the group yet you know <laughs> jj's like i'll be traveling a lot you know we'll probably be sharing hotel rooms can i like have your permission to sleep with emily or <laughs> anyway anyway now emily's here this podcast is just gonna like descend into nonsense i say that but i this is gonna be a very serious conversation soon but also God, Emily Prentice is so attractive. Patrick okay, you're so pretty. So pretty. So pretty. Please come on to our podcast. I promise it won't be weird. <laughs> I'm going to keep every single time you say that. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the official slogan of us, of our campaign to get Padgett Brewster on our podcast is, Padgett Brewster, please come on our podcast. We promise it won't be weird. <laughs> yeah, that'll get it. Or if weird. you want it to be weird, we can also do that too. Whatever you want, baby. It's all about Whatever you. Whatever you want. But we promise it won't be weird if you don't want it to be weird. Anyway. It will be weird with consent. <laughs> It'll be the exact level of weird that you want. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. The translation is basically like the wedding was delayed because of rain. Or it was, I didn't write it down. To deliver the gift to the next crescent. Basically. Wedding yeah. allegory. And then Emily looks up and everyone's staring at her. And she's all embarrassed. And she like tucks her hair behind her ear. And she's like. I lived in several Middle Eastern countries growing up. <laughs> it's just like so awkward. And I was like, I'm sorry, Emily, baby. And then Gideon's like, well, what's, what does the crescent mean? And she says like, sometimes Muslims, although she says Muslims, mm-hmm. which I... She has a lot of white person pronunciation in this episode. Yeah. Which like some credit for trying to pronounce these things correctly, but it feels very not somebody who lived in several middle eastern countries you know it felt very it felt like the thing of like 
when non-Hispanic people play Hispanic characters, they like throw in words every now and then that are like, mm-hmm. or like when What's Her Face on the Food Network is like, and now we're going to add just a little bit of mozzarella. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she says that sometimes Muslim people use a lunar calendar. So it's the next crescent moon, which we find out is in two days, which means that this episode does take place over Thanksgiving. And nobody mentions that. No, no one mentions it. Just like soon we'll have an episode that takes place literally on Valentine's Day. No one mentions it. This is our Thanksgiving episode, guys, which is perfect <laughs> because like colonialism, etc. So they have less than 24 hours. And then JJ's like, we did link the phone payment to Jind Allah, this guy. And they show a picture. And Emily's like, Jindala translates to soldier of God. Like, it's definitely just like a fake name. Derek is like, that's really bad security to have like left his phone there. Yeah. Which it is because it was placed. And then we find out that two months ago, Jindala was taken to Gitmo because he was caught with a forged passport trying to leave Richmond International Airport. Um, And now he's in Guantanamo Bay as a ghost detainee. So technically he doesn't exist. I like this acknowledgement mm-hmm. of that a little pre-episode thing mm-hmm. this episode manages to mention so much of the terrible shit the u.s government does while simultaneously sucking the u.s government's dick yeah mm-hmm. and i hate it yeah there is so much of gideon being like no 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 those are the bad government employees. I'm a good government employee. No, no, no. The CIA hits you. The FBI gives you water. <laughs> and I'm just like, I fucking want to... This episode feels like a very skilled, but very, in the end, a letdown of a hand job, basically. <laughs> sure, yeah. Like, it's skilled, you can tell. But also, man, what a fucking disappointment in the end. I can't tell if this episode is the criminal mind writers trying to critique America as much as they can while still, like, getting the episode approved. Mm -hmm. Or if they are, like, presenting arguments people have and then purposefully negating them because this is when we get jj's whole like is this legal i don't want to know yeah i better not ask because it probably isn't you know my brother in christ you're the one who was you're the one who was invoking the patriot act earlier my sister in christ you are the one who was doing that it's really like the writers understand the bad things but they either can't or don't want to condemn them so they have the literal terrorist bring them up and like I have a thing later about how I don't like the way he keeps calling people infidels Mm -hmm. because I feel like it makes it like this episode like yes he's a Muslim or a Muslim is extremist an Islamic Mm -hmm. extremist but his problem ultimately is not like Islam versus Christianity his problem is with Americans and capitalism affecting his countries yeah and capitalism and affecting you know his countries and his you know area of the world their politics and trying to like westernize and control countries they have no business being in you know and so i hate 
that they had him say infidel a bunch of times to make it clear that he's just some, you know. He's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. But it's like, no. I also think this is an episode that did not age well. Oh, absolutely not. Like, I think like at the time people would have been like, fuck yeah, America, fuck the Muslims, like blah, blah, blah. Whereas now that at least like, you know, for me as a kid, I wouldn't have known. I didn't know anything. Yeah. Real. Like I didn't, wasn't critical of the media when I was a kid, when I would have been, this would have come out. I would have been like 11, you know, I didn't know anything about the Iraq war except that like, you know, the Muslims attacked us and now we're getting them back at it for it, you know? Whereas now as an adult, we're much more aware of the full story. We're more critical of the media. We understand the nuance and we've talked with other types of people outside of our small kind of Mm -hmm. sphere of reference. So I I just don't think this is an episode that holds up at all. This episode absolutely does not hold up. Uh, And I think it's sort of, Sort of a matter of the Criminal Minds writers biting off a little more than they can chew. Like, hey, you guys are a show about, like, serial killers. Why are you here? Later, in later episodes where they do, like, involve, like, larger plots or, like, national emergencies, stuff like that, it makes sense and they explain why the BAU is there, right? This one? What's going on here? What's the point? Why are Derek and Hotch chilling around with the DEA? Also, why is the DEA involved... After the initial raid. That makes no sense. I was literally like, why did they not hand it off to the bomb squad? To the ATF! To the actual dudes who handle explosives! Even Homeland Security. Yeah! It was so weird. Why is it still the Drug Enforcement Agency? Maybe because it's anthrax and they're counting that as a drug? But I feel like they would have had a larger force because... It remains yeah. such this tiny team. I Okay. I feel like this is way the Criminal Minds writers biting off more than they can chew. And I also feel like this is sort of a matter of... I don't know as though Criminal Minds ever would classify themselves as a parody. But this episode almost feels like a parody. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Gideon's riding that line. He is. And boy, how do he ride that fucking line? <laughs> um, But like... I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's so weird to me because we know, by the way, this is like, has been confirmed and is sort of like the way things work in Hollywood. We know that they had an FBI consultant. We know that they ran these scripts through some fucking media liaison for the FBI, period, because they got money to fucking show the FBI, basically. Like, the FBI cares about its image. The CIA cares about its image to the American people. So it's not like this script was some writer going, I'm going to disparage the CIA. Like, no, the CIA was like, sure, fine. Like, yeah, it's not like this is some writer being like, oh, I will do some little nefarious deeds and mention how terrible Guantanamo Bay is, but then also I will show it to be, like, mostly fine. It's like, yeah, okay. it, it's it it's feels, strange. It feels very much like the whole thing of like, it's so bad people are being treated like this. It's so bad people being treated like this. Oh, but except that they are actually terrorists. So they like kind of deserve it. And our methods in the end did get us the right answer. You know? Yeah. And it's Which like, is, what about those other ghost prisoners, Bestie? What about those what about other ones? What about everyone else who's there? What about everybody else in Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> And it's also like we know now about people who like like I can't I don't know his name but there was a guy who got like arrested 
just in the middle of the U.S. on a road trip, got ghost, ghosted for like seven years, literally had done nothing. They got the wrong guy and released him. Like and that's happened multiple times. So many times. That is a well-documented fact that that has happened multiple times. And it's so interesting. I went to see a play once about this. Basically, it was like this. They were trying to get info out of a Muslim man. And, but it showed the U.S. in not a great light and showed an American, you know, CIA guy like beating up this prisoner and like three people got up and walked out at the portrayal of the U.S. like Mm -hmm. doing harm to their prisoners. People got up and left. And I was like, what do you think they do in Guantanamo Bay? What do you, why do you think it's such like a, like like a black site, guys? Guys, why do you think the government doesn't tell you what goes on in there? Also, guys, Dick Cheney had a whole thing about like waterboarding being like illegal. Wink, wink. JJ even gets fucking waterboarded in like yeah. 12 seasons. Um, <laughs> Wild journey we go on on this show. Let me tell you what. Ghost detainees. <laughs> That's where we were. All Don't the way exist. back to ghost detainees. I feel like that was a lifetime ago we started talking about that. Yeah, well, that's the name of the game. Emily is like, his name is Jindallah. He definitely chose that name for his jihad, which means holy war. And reads like, even though the words holy and war never appear together in the Quran. These are bad Muslims, guys. Okay, white boy. Okay. We're like, okay, Jindallah came into the U.S. to create the Omega Cell, and they don't know its mission. (laughs) I wrote Omega Cell, haha, in front of the seat. I mean, I mean, I will not speak. If you know, you know. But if you know, you know. Yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> okay, premise of the episode shows up. The CIA needs the BAU to do their profiling thing and get information from Jindala before the next Crescent Moon, less than 48 hours. And then Gideon goes, we have to do this, or it could be the first attack on U.S. soil since 9-11, which was only like five years ago. <laughs> In the timeline of this show. It was like five years ago. That's not like that long. Like when you say it's the first attack since 9-11, it makes it sound like it is now 20 years. No, five. Five. 9-11 just happened. Just happened, 9-11. Anyway, you are being watched. The government built a secret machine. <laughs> You are being watched every minute of every day. I want to let you know I do. I never skip the intro, by the way, to a person of interest episode. Never. 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 Victim or perpetrator. But if your number is up, we If your number's up, we'll find you. I think you. it's because I watch, I usually watch person of interest in that fucking pirated version. The Right. Um. Arg Mady's version that I think you sent me. Um, So now I'm always just like jamming to the theme song. And then I like watch it on HBO legally, like a good little citizen. And I I was like, people skip this intro. It fucking bangs every time. Like, okay, get it. Every minute of every day. Sorry, we will talk about Criminal Minds this episode, I promise. Let's go back to Criminal Minds. (laughs) Like, get fucked. Anytime somebody says he's a person of interest in the case, I'm like, victim or perpetrator. Your number's up. We will find you. Gideon's leaving his office. 
And he's like, I told Reed there's five minutes until the car comes. So I think the implication is that a car picks them up from Quantico and takes them to the airport. Yeah, I assume their airport or their airfield is not right in Quantico. Because isn't Quantico just like in the middle of a fucking city? Yeah, it's, it's in Fairfax. Yeah, so like I assume there's a different airport that they use or a different airfield that they use. Hotch is like, you should take Emily. And Gideon's like, ew. <laughs> no. Gays? No. He goes, this is an interrogation, not a training exercise. And Hotch is like, she speaks Arabic. And Gideon's like, get a translator. And Hotch is like, they don't know profiling. And Gideon's like, does she even have a ready bag? And then they both look over and she's just standing there with her ready bag next to her, like, casual so casual <laughs> you know it's like when somebody is like runs into a room and is like act casual so and so is coming and you're just like yeah. leaning in a position you would never humanely get in that's Emily this app she's just like the whole the whole episode <laughs> also like the whole time they're like should we should we not she's like she like stands and then it cuts back to them and then it cuts back to her and she's like fixing her sweater and then it cuts to them and it cuts back to her and she's like pulling out her ready bag you like it's like she's literally just like they're gonna ask me to go with them do i wait until they ask or do like she's literally like how do i casually be like so i'm i'm going i also like right. the implication that she could just hear them talking and having this whole conversation because they're not trying to they're be like quiet <laughs> yeah! they're 10 feet away and she's just like all right, so it sounds like I'll be going with Gideon, so I'll get my ready bag ready, and we're good. Like, yeah, they're She's not like, trying to whisper and like I can't hear or them? anything. Yeah, no, she she can hear them clean across the whole <laughs> Um, and then he just walks by and goes, "Car leaves in four minutes," and she's like, "Yes, sir," and she like follows after him. And Hotch, like, he's doing like a Mona Lisa smile. He's like not smiling, but he's not like doing his grumpy face. He's like relaxed face. Um, which is so funny because next episode he's basically like, Emily, shut the fuck up. What are you doing here? But this episode he's like, maybe you should like take her with you. Maybe you should take the new kid with you. Like, listen, maybe you take her for the weekend. We're divorced parents. Can you just take her? She wants to go to this water park. I just like, I do not want her with me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Why don't you take her? I don't want her. (laughs) Okay. So then they're on the plane. Gideon and Reed are playing chess and Emily's like very awkwardly like, on the couch, like part of the conversation, but like not in their little semicircle <laughs> of chairs. And then she like tries to be, she's like, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come with you. And he's like, it's not a favor. This is your job. And she's just like, okay, okay. you're fine. Okay. Right. Fine. okay. <laughs> well, shit, fuck. Okay. Um, and Reed's like, do you think the interrogation will work in time? And he's like, the art of interrogation is complicated and she's like that's not an answer and he looks at her and she's like sir (laughs) she is so funny she is really like walking that line of like i am a child who grew up around people i should have been calling sir but i was also a rebellious teenager so i told one to shut the fuck up once you know like she's really walking that line of like i know i should respect you but also i grew up with fucking army generals get your shit together you know also like I'm not going to spoil her her backstory, but like once you know her backstory, you're like she has higher clearance than like all of them. Anybody she works with, she has done more shit than any of them. 
And so she like, every now and then she slips into that, like, that's not an answer. And then she's like, wait, I'm a baby, sir. Yeah, she's very much, <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. That's like what I saw this whole episode. Every time she was like, it's this. And then she's like, oh, I'm awkward. Forgot to, forgot like, to be part of the awkward teenager. Sorry. And, it, and this act drops so fast yeah and then she's like, just like actually next... shut the fuck up no <laughs> yeah like literally in like two episodes we get the like i'm a nerd i'm a weirdo i don't want to fit like, in speech. have you ever seen me without this stupid gay pride flag you've seen me without my turtleneck <laughs> uh she's like sir and he basically like he like kind of grudgingly respects that because she is giving off like pick me employee vibes she is yes you know? but she's so he, also right yeah and so he basically starts explaining like the main thing is just to get jindala to talk about anything and then like his body and his inflections will betray him and then he gives an extended chess metaphor that i didn't write down because it's stupid um and then emily's job is to listen to pick up nuances ulterior meanings subtext like things that they aren't going to pick up because they don't know the language as well and then Reed's job is to look for tells, nonverbal cues, behavioral changes, etc. Um, which I really like, like as an autistic Reed thing, like he, like as an autistic person would naturally be super sensitive to like tells and like checking people for like nonverbal cues he might not understand. So I'd like that they gave him that mm-hmm. as his like task. I just appreciated that. Yeah. Um, yeah. They need to establish a baseline and then they can read the changes under stress. And they need him to reveal his personal stuff before they can reveal him, get him to reveal his plan. And then Gideon says, game over. And Reed's like, huh? The plane takes a sharp right turn. And I wrote, why even play chess? Why pick a game like that? To Like cards, you could just slam your hands over them. Yeah. Chess, Gideon straight up clicks his seatbelt and then just sits there while the chessboard goes flying. Reed and Emily are tossed around. <gasps> I... And then he's like, it's the Gitmo twist. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I love that Gideon is like, I'm not going to clean up these chess pieces. You all will. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. <laughs> you kids, you kids can pick up these chess pieces. The kids can do yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he says, also, no, but nobody does. They straighten up, nobody does. Um, and he explains basically like the Gitmo twist is that that Gitmo airspace is perpendicular to Cuban airspace, so they have to take a sharp right turn in order to land. Whatever. And Reed was like, oh man, I was gonna win that game. And Emily was like, nah, he would have had you in three moves. And then Gideon just stares at him. Um, I think this is a callback to what the fuck was Compulsion, where he's like, You wanna ask a girl out, you gotta think three moves ahead. And the whole thing, Gideon kept being like, think three moves ahead like chess. And that's how Reed, like, figures it out. So I was like, oh, it's funny. Emily was like, no, he was going to get you in three moves. You weren't looking three moves ahead. Yeah. I also think, I mean, we have these moments with Gideon a lot and Gideon and Reed a lot, right? Where, where somebody comes by and he's like, he has you in four or whatever. Like, I feel like that happens quite a lot, doesn't it? With Emily. Emily does it. I remember this moment. I feel like I remember Emily points it out one other t- one at least one or two other times. And then I feel like Hotch points it out once or twice. I think JJ has pointed it out. Yeah, I feel like this is like everybody on the team gets their gets their little like fuck you read. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. You lost. You're bad at chess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hatch and Derek go to the drug house, the not drug house, 
Bonnie Ryan, the DEA team leader, is like, hey, what's up? They escaped. They must have done drills. And then Morgan walks into the room and is like, oh, hey, Kenny. And they know each other. I assume from Bomb Squad time, but he's on the DEA, so like... I mean, I feel like maybe they, you know... Maybe they both did Bomb and then... And then went went to other places, yeah. As soon as Kenny got a name, I went, oh yeah, no, that's not good. Um, I don't think... He he doesn't die, though, does he? Yeah, he's the SWAT agent they lose in Annandale. I thought he was not the guy. No, they lost Kenny. I didn't think... Yeah. Weird. Rip. Yeah, so they gave him a name so that we would know later when they said... Kenny said. Anyway, Derek explains the bomb. He's like, this is where the explosion would be. This is where they put the biochem agent. Uh, and then they go into another four-man cell where we get an amazing foreshadowing line from Derek. So they are like looking at the closet and the Bonnie goes, oh, they assimilated into like the society. And then Derek says, just like any other suburban gangster wannabes rolling at the mall. Uh-huh. And I went, oh, 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 mm-hmm. uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then Pasta's a little profile, which is kind of the only profile we get the whole episode, that they're Middle Eastern males in their early 20s and they're going to attack military installations and government buildings. Which Jindala knows that's what they would think. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons they did it. Um, And then we get a bunch of stock photos of Gitmo. We get a lot of stock footage, which I think is very kind of funny, actually. It was a totally different texture. It was so wild. A totally different, like, color scheme. I was like, I was like what are we doing? What? <laughs> Could I get any clear footage? Not a- what? We're not allowed to film Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> so true. I mean, we aren't. I know. So it was like, they just used some, like, random something. Okay. Jindala gets dragged in. He's, like, chained, bruised, only in his underwear. They, like, throw him on the floor. And you're just like, oh, yikes. Mm-hmm. This is Guantanamo Bay. Yikes. Mm. And then we get my boy, Kevin Chapman, who plays Lionel and person of interest. Kevin Chapman is here, please. Kevin Chapman. A, a fave of mine. A fave of mine. My boy. He comes out of his office and goes, you must be the BAU boys and gal. Pardon me. Yeah. And I, I was just like, interesting. Okay. <laughs> they, just, they just put that in there. Like, okay. We just kind of really were like, anyway. <laughs> they were like anyway <laughs> anyway women are here too like i don't know it was very funny it was like okay so they want us to know that guantanamo bay is like a boys club but he's not like sexist you just assumed they'd be boys which is sexist um and then emily shakes his hand and reeve just does like a little wave little. reeve's like i'm not gonna shake your head thanks yeah hey. i see you hello um and then kevin chapman whose name is bingman Andy Anthony. Bingman. Andy Bingman. Andy Bingman. Um, it's like, yeah, Jindala doesn't say anything. Um, even though they've been going for months now, two months now, nothing. And then one day he Jindala learned that another detainee was talking, and then he spoke to him for three minutes, and then the guy did like Kermit. Mm-hmm. 
and they're like, oh, damn. And they look at the security camera and Emily's like, oh, he's reciting the Quran from memory. He's a Hafiz. And Reed's like, yeah, some kids can do it since they were 12. And Kevin Chapman is like, that's the only thing he said since he's been here. Um, and then I wrote, boo-hoo, the CIA hurts them, but Kevin Chapman protests the methods. Yeah. Thanks for that one. I know. He's like, trust me, my protests about the methods have gone unheard. And I was like, oh, you're such a good guy. You're so, you're such a good guy. You're, you're good so guy. good. You're so good that you like run Gitmo, apparently. Wow. Yeah. Sweet. You're such a good person who runs the fuck. And Gideon's like, okay, I'm going to go burst in there with that warning. Put on a show for Jindala. Uh, and Kevin Chapman is like, goes to his walkie talkie and he's like, begin phase two. What a good guy. What a good guy. I was like, phase guy. two? Phase <laughs> two? Good, good guy. 10 out of 10 guy. Stellar. And then Gideon's like, yeah, the show is for Jindala. We're going to like be a complete contrast to his captors. You know, we need to get him talking in less than 36 hours. So he like needs to trust us. So Gideon goes into the room with like, you know, the outfit, the orange clothes, and is like Agent Bingman says to leave. And he also says, I'm Supervisory Special Agent Jason Gideon. He like gives his full title to impress Jindala and like gives him clothes and then apologizes for the treatment that he suffered. And it's like, hey, can I like hang out with you? And Jindala actually like stops talking and is sizing Gideon up and it's like, what do you want? And Gideon's like, I want to study human behavior. It's not here. I'm not here to get info. I'm just like checking your vibe. <laughs> I'm just just for a vibe check, you know? Just like vibe checking. <laughs> just vibe checking. This fucking Gideon's whole deal this up. I hate it. I is so fucking infuriating. I have a lot to say. Then let's get to the point where we say it. Okay. I also I did do research on stuff, so nobody said that, but I want to say why. Because I think this episode is such a product of the political climate at the time that mm -hmm. it's important to know the situation and it's important to know what's happening. And it's important to know what Criminal Minds is not saying. Yes. Because there are a couple of moments where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what the fuck, mm -hmm. Criminal Minds? So, yeah. Yeah, this episode, for reference, for anybody who didn't want to do the quick math when we talked about how far this episode fell from 9-11, uh, this episode aired in November of 2006, which means it was produced in, you know, summer-ish of 2006. Yeah, and it takes place in November of 2006. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, although they mm -hmm. fuck up their math real bad, and I will point it out when it happens. Um, yeah. The bombing of where his Jindala's son died happened seven years ago, and then Reed is like, in 2003. Yeah. And I was like, three years seven. ago? Like, three years ago? <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, listen, not their place in 2010. Now, that's a number one goof on the imdb page for this hey also did you realize this one was written by jeff davis who was the showrunner at the time mm -hmm. or who started the show also written by jim clemente james do you want to guess you have three guesses okay what do you think jim clemente did before he was a person who wrote an episode of criminal minds well gee bestie 
I feel like the answer is going to be like he worked at, in the CIA or something. He is he was a real life FBI profiler and he was the show's consultant when it came to FBI stuff. This is the first episode to be written partially by him as well. This is one of his first writing credits. Wow, I'm very surprised. That's Shocked. Sarcastic. Shocked and appalled. Hate that. You said that name and I was like, why do I know that name? Oh, it's because he's mm-hmm. their fucking show consultant. Yeah. Hate that. Okay. So <clears throat> they're going through, Derek and Hotch and everyone are going through the room of the not meth lab. Mm-hmm. And Derek is like, okay, they're fundamentalists, so why aren't there prayer mats or anything like that? And then he looks under a cot and he finds a box with a list of chemicals. Which is like, cool. Um, and then he calls Garcia. It felt very like, prop department put this in here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay, so let me do this quick scene with Jason Gideon and Jindala and then I will go on my first little info history lesson. So basically, Jason Gideon's like, I want to figure out how we can come to a peaceful resolution. And Jindala like does not believe that. And Jason is like, Jason, Gideon is like, you're educated, you're intelligent, you can talk about the nuance of Islam, it's going to be great. And Jindala is like, it literally doesn't matter what I say, eventually you will hurt me. And then Jason Gideon says, I uphold the U.S. Constitution, no matter where, no matter when, I uphold the Constitution. And I said, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? That means nothing. That's a nothing statement. I guess it's like the fair trial, no harsh and unusual punishment, etc. Like, I guess that's what he means. But like, there's kind of no constitution in Guantanamo Bay. That's kind of the whole point. Yeah, isn't that kind of the point of the whole thing? Sorry, I'm a ghost detainee. What makes you think they give a shit about how the (laughs) The constitution applies to me? Also, he's not an American citizen, I don't think. I think he's Egyptian. He came yeah, over. They don't, ever, they don't ever mention that he's an American citizen. Yeah. yeah. He came over 10 years ago. He's not an American citizen. So like Jason Gideon could be like, cross my heart. I uphold the constitution, but it doesn't count for you, baby. Yeah. I just hated that. I hated that line. I was like, oh, I get it. Gideon's the, the good government. Like this is the same energy as Reed being like, mom, I'm not the government. And it's like, read, baby, you work for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yeah. Okay. So here's... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I also feel like a lot of the FBI versus CIA stuff this episode, now that I know it was written by Jim Clemente, I'm like, oh, that makes way more sense. You want the FBI to be the good guys. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Sorry, continue. That's right. So our first little history lesson, it's about anthrax, baby. So... (laughs) Yay, I love history. Oh, I love it. So okay, here's I the love thing. learning new things. Here's the thing for all you youngins. After 9-11, letters for, that were laced with anthrax were being sent through the US mail. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom being nervous about like opening mail as if we were gonna be targeted. But five mm-hmm. Americans were killed and 17 were sickened, and that's the anthrax attacks are still the worst biological tax in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Um, and the FBI investigated it, and it didn't get solved until, like, 2010, 2011. <laughs> yeah, I remember they were pretty... Yeah, 
it was a whole thing unsolved, and I have like notoriously unsolved yeah and so like they interviewed more than 10,000 witnesses on six different con- continents 80 searches they recovered more than 6,000 items of potential evidence um it is the case involved the issuance of more than 5,700 grand jury subpoenas and 5,700 environmental samples. So it was fucking huge. Uh, and then in 2008, they finally got some information against a doctor, Bruce Ivins, who took his own, li- own life before he could be charged or arrested or anything. Mm-hmm. So like, so that ha- this happened in like early 2002. So it's like four years later, we still don't know who committed the worst acts of biological terrorism on the U.S. soil. So when Derek is like, it's anthrax, baby, all of the adults in the audience went, not anthrax. No, that's a real fear of mine that I really do have in real life. You know, so like, yeah, it was like okay, a topical. Fair. Yeah, so that's something that's like important to say. And then Reed mentions a letter to Dasha, one of the guys that died, that only contains two grams of purified um, anthrax, but it could have killed 25 million people if dispersed properly. Like, that's how much yeah. anthrax is. Anthrax is bonkers. Yeah, actually. every time I hear about the how bad anthrax could be, I'm like, why aren't we more worried about anthrax? <laughs> There's a whole... Well, nowadays, anthrax is only like... There's like a couple of labs that like have it, but like I know that like Russia has an anthrax sample, mm-hmm. so like that's like a big deal. Um, there's only a few countries that even have samples of it anymore because it is a chemical compound. It's not just like a flower you can go pick from a field, you know. Like you have to make yeah kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that's why this is such like a topical big deal and why that panic is there. And so like if you were watching this episode and they said anthrax, you would immediately understand. The, the shorthand, yeah. The shorthand, the severity, the history, the real fear people still lived with, you know. Um, so, yeah. And then the guy's talking, and he said, he, I could, I can never quite hear it, but I guess he says Jason Gideon weird. Like, he says, like, Jason Gideon. And so that's another like, thing mentioned on the uh, on the goofs page of the IMDb that I'm not sure. Like, I don't think he really said that Jay weird. No, I think he just mumbled. And Emily was like, got you, motherfucker. <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, he's from Cairo, Egypt. He like could be from somewhere else. But I think it's Cairo. And then he like, t- imagine if Emily was wrong. Like one, that'd be so embarrassing. <laughs> but two, Jason, all confident. is like, what? You don't consider yourself Egyptian. And Jindalah's like. <laughs> No, no, I'm from Iran. Like, <laughs> no, but he's from Cairo. He's from Egypt. Uh, and Jason's got like a thing in his ear. And Emily's like, be a walkie-talkie. Is like, he's from Cairo. They pronounce the J's as a G. And Gideon says like, hey, you're from Egypt. And um, Jindala is like, wow, you've learned more about me in three minutes than they have in two months. Um and they're like talking about like the worst enemy of the American people, and Jason Gideon is like my worst enemy, <laughs> ignorance. And I was just like, this fucking line. <laughs> You're so right about that parody. I really think somebody on this writing team did their damnedest to sneak as much nonsense as they could in. It kind of 
feels almost like a fucking parody. Yeah. And I'm like, but it isn't though. No. Like this is written by an FBI agent. You know what I mean? Like this isn't a parody, but God, it feels like it. It's like one of those things where you're like, it's a joke so good. No one could write it. They're like, this FBI guy is like, so like sucking his own fucking dick that it comes off as funny. And he's like dead serious. And then Gideon is like, yeah, but you were like a Hafiz by the age of nine. So like, you're also like fear, ignorance or whatever. And Jindala is like, yeah, I'm super devout. Cool. And he, Jason Gideon's like, so why choose violence? Jason Gideon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, hey, the sun's about to set. Set. I'm going to send in a prayer rug and a water ball and you can do your thing. And the guy's like, thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jason Gideon. I... Ugh. Ugh. Ew. That's mm-hmm. I have to say. Ew. ew. Yeah, ew is right. Ew. So, so much ew this episode. I hate it. Um, okay. Garcia. Oh, this was unclear to me. So Garcia's on the computer and the screen is like flashing with a bunch of text and JJ comes in and she's like, ew, what's that? <laughs> what are you doing? And Garcia says the NSA it. Sorry, my chair is so squeaky, and I'm trying it to like, really is. not do it in the middle of my sentences. <laughs> Garcia says, the NSA is sending all messages for language analysis. And I was like, all messages? Because she text? pulls this up pretty quickly. This is not a big database search. Like, no. she pulls this up so quickly. Yes. And then also... JJ is like, why don't you cross like gift and wedding? They're going to stick to their code. And then she posts up a text so fast. And I was like, sorry, is this terrorist organization the only people who has said gift and wedding in the same text or in the same phone call in the past two days? Like, no, like, so it must be something small. So I made the note. I was like, maybe it was like through Nextel or like through that phone, that particular phone. It it might have, yeah, just been like they made a web of who that phone had called and who people who had gotten called by that phone had called, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They must have had to make some, had had to narrow it down somehow because. Or like only like cell towers that that phone pinged off of all the calls from those towers or something. Because like, yeah. that was wild. And then JJ goes, is this even legal? And Garcia's like, I don't want to think about it. And she says like, did you know during national security emergencies, the United States turns all of its satellites inward and we're supposed to be like oh no which like yeah like obviously that fucking sucks but also like we had just elected george bush for a second term <laughs> like <laughs> okay also, like hey spoiler alert the satellites are turned towards us even not in times of national emergency yeah the satellites are turned towards us all the goddamn time. Americans are among the most spied on people in the fucking world because it's by our own fucking government who gave us gave themselves the power to read our texts and our emails. Like, it's yeah. not even shocking to me. I can no. see how it would be shocking to maybe people in, like, 2006. But, like, sure. now I'm so jaded. I know. At this point, I'm just kind of like, we get you it. You could tell me that my texts are displayed on a billboard downtown, and I'd be like, yeah, okay, that tracks. Like, okay, sure. Yeah. yeah fine. I'd be like, oops, but that's embarrassing. But like, yeah, Embarrassing right. for me, but also embarrassing for our government. Like, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You are being watched. 
you are being watched every minute <laughs> of every day. You should just play that first, you, you are, are being, being watched. watched. <laughs> every time I fucking mention that, just like hard cut to fucking, <laughs> to Harold Finch being like, you are being watched. Basically the texts are like, the barn was ruined, the wedding's postponed, and we moved it to Vincent's barn off Lincoln in Annandale, Virginia. And Hotch is like, Cope will do another raid there, tell Gideon and Reed. But he doesn't say tell Emily. He's like, tell Gideon and Reed. And I was like, and Emily. <laughs> I don't remember the woman existing. Yeah. Who? That new person? I don't know. But it was like the fact that he didn't say like, tell Gideon. It was like, tell Gideon and Reed. And also I'm not mentioning Emily because I hate her. <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Gideon. Gideon goes into the room again and offers water to Jindalaw, who's like, you drink it first. I'm not out here to get poisoned. And Gideon drinks it, hands it over. And like, so true. Yeah, I mean. I'm also it. not out here to get poisoned. Smart <laughs> exactly. Jindalaw says that the water was just there to show him what he couldn't have. Um, and then Jason Gideon, like... He's on like a fucking rolly desk chair, all like splayed out. Like, hey, what's up? I'm a, I, I teach. I'm a professor. Uh, and he's like, how can you ignore the fact that Muhammad preached pacifism while he was in Jerusalem? And then like this tense music starts playing. I wrote, bum bum, tense music, got him. But Jason also, knows. Yeah. did he really get him? Well, like, did he? And then Jindalah says, well, you know, he had a later message in Medina that when somebody is doing violence upon you, you must fight back with everything you have. And this is when Reed is like, oh, that's in the Hadid, not the Quran. They call it the verse of the sword. Extremists say it cancels out earlier teachings. And so I have a note here. Mm -hmm. This is where my little like rant paragraph starts. Gideon is supposed to be all like high-minded and intelligent. But, like, he barely knows anything about Islam. Everything yeah. gets fed to him by Reed or Emily. Like, he knows the names of the prayers, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. And it's very frustrating that he is being presented as this kind of, like, well-read, intelligent, I've considered all the size and chose Christianity. But no. He's not. He's not. And like nobody was even talking about Islam on the plane. They didn't read, wasn't speed reading the Quran, nothing. They talked about it as if it were just like a game about profiling. I hope we can profile him fast enough. And I feel like there was time to make us feel like Gideon actually gives a shit about Islam. He doesn't. It's all bullshit to get this guy to trust him. I also feel like the way that Gideon reacts to the fact that this is like a, a later verse, a later text that people argue overhauls the original text. Uh, don't Catholics do that same thing? Isn't that like a notorious problem within Catholicism is that they can't update shit without well, so, okay, so these additional texts? So not just that. So Judaism, the Torah, is the first book or the first testament. Mm -hmm. of the bible so the old testament and then the they have a couple of extra texts they have the torah and they have a couple of texts and judaism jewish people the jewish community rabbis etc are forever debating what the fuck anything means 
and kind of Judaism's like core philosophy, maybe not Orthodox, I don't know too much about like Orthodox, but just like the general Jewish community, it's all about constantly evaluating your relationship to God and what do these works mean and what is my relationship to them and all that kind of stuff. Christianity and all all non-Catholic denominations, all the other like Protestant, uh, Episcopalian, Methodist, Unitarian, etc. They um, do the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Mm -hmm. Testament is where Jesus is. Yeah. And that's what they believe in. And there are, we know there are books that were left out of the Bible, but the way like it works is there was kind of like a big, well, this is what Catholicism does. So Catholicism has the same Bible, but there were councils that decided which of the books were canon and put into the Bible and which they, which they didn't count as canon and therefore aren't real. And they kind of decided a bunch of stuff. Like they're the ones who decided whether, like they had a whole thing about whether or not Jesus is a human representation of God or if he himself is divine like was the body he came to earth with human or divine, right? That whole thing. And then they updated it. They did the Vatican II uh, in I think the 70s or 80s, which basically like loosen. Now we like black people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now we can, we're a little more liberal. Still not liberal, but more than they were. Yeah. Uh, and then there, then you still have like sects, like um, SPCX, which is a St. Paul the something something Latin numerals, Roman numerals, who reject that Vatican II. So they still believe in the original the old, stuff. Old school. Yeah. The old, uh-huh. old school. But the current kind of Catholic Catholicism community is post Vatican II. So they are a little more like liberal. And yeah, and it's all very like word of God, very like long lasting, that kind of stuff. You know, but then you have like American Christianity, which is like, what we think of as like conservative Christian Americans, where it's just as much about guns and mm-hmm. the country and our country as it is about God. It's just, I also thought it was weird that he was like, oh, this is a later book or a later text that you are quoting. So you are a bad guy for not quoting just the original text. And it felt yeah. very weird because like it's a nonsense. core concept of like Catholicism, from what I understand it, I'm not a Catholic. Um, I was raised Lutheran besties. Do not come for me. <laughs> um, is like, they're always sort of debating, is this later text canon? Should yeah. we adapt it into our beliefs? Should we loosen yeah. up, et cetera, et cetera, things that are like going on. Like that's a core of like, People argue about that all the goddamn time, even in the religions we tend to think of as like the white people religions, you know, like it felt weird to me that he was like, later verse? No, 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 not in this house. Like, okay, who are you? It's also interesting to me that like, so Muhammad is a prophet, Mm -hmm. right? He's not like, he's not like another Jesus kind of thing. Like they, the Muslims believe that he... Um, if I remember correctly, kind of interpreted the word of God and like put forth a way to live. And I don't know if you remember this, but around the time this stuff was happening, there was a big kind of upheaval because an American newspaper did a political cartoon of Muhammad. 
I and, was fucking eight years old when this episode okay. came out. So no, I don't so remember no. actually. Um, they someone did a political cartoon of Muhammad, and it blew up. And the main American idea of what was wrong was that we were making fun of their prophet. But it was so much more than that. It is a belief in Islam that only God can create people. So even drawing people is bad. That's why their calligraphy is so intense. And there's a lot of like floral themes and jewel patterns. And it's more about like colors and shapes and, and, and art through calligraphy and things like that. Not drawings of people because only God can create people. So it's like, not only are they making fun of Muhammad, the prophet, they drew him, which is even more like insulting to the culture. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of stuff like that that I feel like Western audiences, especially in 2006, wouldn't have understood. So a lot of the kind of like, I don't know, I just don't, I really don't like when like Christian people are super devout and it's fine and it's totally chill. But then when like a Muslim person is super devout, it's like, oh no, weird. Oh no, then extremist, you know? Yeah. I don't and like it feels that. that way with Gideon here. It's like, very much he's like, it's okay if I'm devout and I practice charity and I go to, yeah, and I you and, know, worship on my time and et cetera, et cetera. But if you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and I think also a lot of Christians tend to forget about things like missionaries, even though there are still missionaries, Mormons still go on missions there's still Christians who go to Africa and try to convert people. Like that's still happening. Yeah. So it's not Gideon's like, well, I've never pushed my religion on you. And it's like, no, but Christians have a long storied history of doing exactly that Gideon. Many wars, like many, many wars. wars. Yeah. Think a about lot the, of people. The native children were all converted and made white like there are there are languages that no longer exist because white people fucked them up so bad even even white people to other white people like gaelic is currently like irish people are trying to like save gaelic as a language because the fucking like protestants tried to wipe it out of them it's Gideon, just don't sit there on your high horse because you all by yourself have never ever been racist in your whole life oops wow you're so you're the perfect man you're the perfect man you exist outside you completely exist outside of all of these structures that you participate in and you absolutely are not to blame for any of them never mind that you are choosing to work for the the fbi the The fbi bureau of investigation like the fact that you have a job that has brought you here to this room to speak to this man shows that you are not free of the bonds just like reed is actually the government you too gideon are the government and and this is what we talk about right where gideon says where you're not quoting the quran you're quoting the verse of the sword and jindala is like it's our job to fight and slay infidels like wherever they are and again there's that word that i just i don't like that it's being used um, mm-hmm. And they kind of try to portray what Gideon is like, I repented, I pray, I practice charity, you know, they're from going to heaven. And Jindala is like, yeah, but are you going to convert to Islam? And he's like, no, I'm already faithful. I already believe in God. And then he says, I've never hurt you. So why do you want to hurt me? And it's so clearly missing the point. 
Yeah. Like this is not like a ba- a one-to-one thing. And I think honestly, Jindala is so right when he says later that this is a war and there's going to be casualties, you know, where like, not that I think releasing anthrax in a mall is correct, but yeah. that like, I, it's not a one-on-one thing and it never has been. Like if you look at a war and I think of like the stories from World War One, where like fighting would cease for the night and all the soldiers would come out of the trenches to like hang out and play soccer and then have to kill each other in the morning. Like it's not about the individual people. It's about the larger like oppressive structure. Like the U.S. government needs to repent, pay reparations, correct its behavior. So like, I don't consider myself a a racist, but I am still racist because I'm a white person in a society that privileges white people, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's nothing I can do as one person on a large scale to change the way America treats people of color, but I can do what I can in my one life to be good to the people that I meet, you know, on the daily. But Gideon is like, why would you hate me? I'm a good person. I'm also religious. I haven't done anything to you. Why are you mad at me? for working for a government that has spent centuries oppressing your people. Why are you mad at me? I'm just the person that the government sent to talk to you in this government black site facility where you've been tortured for the last three months. Why are you mad at me? Why are you you mad at me? me? And Gideon says, Gideon is like a billion Muslims managed to practice in peace. So why are you fighting? And I just, I wrote my note. I was like, because the countries are still being attacked, Gideon. That's the fucking point. There are a billion Muslim people who have done nothing, who are innocent, who are being bombed and killed either by accident or on purpose because what? American empire is an imperialist nightmare. Like, it's like, like, Black churches, not they're not even Muslim, they're Christian, like everyone else, they're getting bombed just because it's black people. Mosques are being bombed, like on American soil. I get why this guy is angry. Yeah. You know, and like, and even if you want to talk about abroad, like the American Empire is a fucking imperialist nightmare. Yes, and we have, specifically Egypt, have fucked up so much. So here's another little history lesson. All right, I got really mad at Reed because so Jindalab brings up his upbringing. He's like, it wouldn't be happy until I was in a bazaar when I was eight and my family was bombed. And so Reed calls Garcia to confirm the bombing from 30 years ago and he calls it a stray bombing. And I was just like, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What was the American stray bombing? I know, first off, ill. I wrote stray bombing, bestie <laughs> also i was like i wonder if what 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 were bombings what was the american egyptian relationship in the 70s 30 years ago 76 right mm-hmm. um literally we were siding with israel in a war against egypt egypt and russia were together the israel israel and the u.s were together and you're telling me you're surprised there was a bombing in Egypt when Israel was literally trying to take over the fucking Gaza Strip? Like, what are you talking about? There's literally the 1973 Yom Kippur War. There were decades of Israeli-Egyptian conflict 
and we were on the side of Israel. So why are you acting like it is outside of the realm of possibility for there to have been a bombing in Egypt by Americans 30 years ago? Like it's, it's Also, isn't that so conflict terrible. still ongoing? Well, or... in 79, they signed a peace treaty, but mm-hmm. it's still very, very tense. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's weird. I don't think they're technically in like a war anymore, but there is still like, and it's called the Arab-Israeli conflict. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's because, you know, cause the whole thing is like during, so during World War II, because Jewish people were being killed in Europe, a lot of um, Jewish people were put into, not put into, were moved to um, Palestine, Pakistan, mm-hmm. all of that side of the place. Um, and, you know, it's part of the Jewish belief that Jerusalem is for Jewish people. That is the Jewish Holy Land. This, the whole Fertile Crescent area, like that is the Garden of Eden. This is our uh, our birthright as Jewish people to live here. The problem is people already lived there. Yeah. So now when people talk about the Israeli-Pakistani or, you know, this whole conflict, Palestinian conflict, it's that. It's who owns this land because the people who are already living there are being honestly massacred so that other people can live there. And it's like, you know, on the one side, you have Israel being like, this is our literally our God-given right to live here. And then you have all these Islamic people who are like, no, but you see, I've already, I already lived here. My family has lived here for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you, why are you saying my home is not my home anymore? And that's that conflict. And that's why it's such a big deal when people speak on one side or the other, you know, it like really means something. So like, the U.S. has pretty much always been on Israel's side, maybe not officially, but like kind of. Yeah. Um. But yes, after 79, there was a peace treaty. And then we started giving them guns and things too. Because Egypt. why not make money? American Hellscape. Yeah. So I did that little bit of research. So it reads like, Garcia, would we have bombed Egypt by accident 30 years ago? Would we have made an oopsie whoopsie and bombed Egypt? Like I was like, what are you talking about? Um, also, Gideon was literally in the FBI in the 70s. So like, why is he like no one ever mentions like the fact that Islamic people are dying, being murdered by Americans. This guy, maybe his methods aren't great, but he has every reason to be upset with America. And not for a second is his side given any credibility. There's no like, I don't think this is how you should do it, but I get your point. No, none of it. And especially because his point ends up being there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Which is such a wild fourth quarter twist. Like, I get it. I truly understand. I I do get it. But yeah. a wild fourth quarter twist when they've been talking yeah. this whole episode about American imperialism and religion. Yeah. And I also think, I do think that there is a commentary there, a commentary made, even if even if I'm making it in criminal minds, is it that Gideon assumed because this guy named himself like soldier of God, that it was a religious thing and not like a not like a hate capitalism thing okay actually yeah i'm kind of into that commentary i get it yeah like in the end jindala gained his confidence through islam believing that he needed to fight for his people but his fight was ultimately not with christians 
it was with capitalists. And I think it is so interesting that Gideon never picks up on that. Like, I think Jindala is totally like, so you're going to become Muslim just to keep him off track. Yeah. Because it has honestly nothing to do with that. And even when he talks about it is, it was the murder of his son by bombing that, that turned him extremist. In a bazaar, in a place of commerce. Yes. He was like, like imagine getting a bomb falling on your farmer's market. And yeah. your entire family dies but you. I'd, get, I'd be radicalized too. Yeah. Like, this guy's totally reasonable. Especially after growing up with the U.S. on Israel's side. Like, this guy grew up in the Egyptian-Israeli conflict. He grew up with all these terrorist attacks. He grew up being, like, ha- like America hating him. And then America killed his son. Like, yeah, that'd be my last fucking straw, too. Yeah. But, and so I really like that that ends up being the twist, that Gideon does not solve it. He he figures out how to get the guy to talk, but he never figures out the guy's plan. Or, like, the guy's reasoning. He never does. He assumes it's because he's Islamic, but it, ultimately, it's because he's Middle Eastern. It's because you he's know? lived in countries that, America, the American empire has exploited for years and years. And that ends up being why. Yeah. And then we see the TV reports it. First, the bomb is a gas main explosion in the trailer. And then it's an attempted robbery. America never is held accountable for what it has done. And especially imagine in 2006, you spent the past five years with the fallout of 9-11, all these innocent people being murdered purely because they're Muslim, or even because they live in a mostly Muslim country. Mm-hmm. Like, and then at the end, America's like, oh, whoopsie, whoopsie. Some people tried to rob them all. Oopsie doopsie. Oopsie doopsie. There's so much to say there. And Criminal Minds says none of it. Okay. Uh, uh, again, they couldn't write a better parody if they tried. Oh, Just the fact that it ended up being about a robbery... When, like, the guy was, like, anti-capitalist, anti-consumer, and it, they were like, oh, he was trying to steal from the mall. Like, no, dude. He doesn't want there to be a mall at all. Yeah. I get it. We hate it. There's a reason malls are going out of fashion. <laughs> malls are dying. Oh, yeah. And then Jindala is basically like, my son died. Half my family was dead from the bombing. That's when I joined the jihad. And Jason Gideon goes, and that's why the CIA can never let you leave. Like, the only hope is that, oh, this is exactly what I was saying. His only hope is for to tell Gideon his stories that Gideon can tell the world. And Jindala says, the U.S. government has made me a ghost. I do not exist. How the hell are you going to tell my side of the story? And we see at the end of the episode, his story does not get told. Not a peep. Not a peep. What happens to this guy? Who knows? Nothing. And on the plane ride back, they don't even talk about it. Emily's just like, so when did you know you'd have to trick him? And Gideon's like, oh, at the beginning, he was like super smart. You want to play chess? Never. Nothing. Can't address it. American win. America wins. We can put our head behind, you know, understand again. Don't have to think about it. Ugh. The American empire has absolutely done nothing wrong ever. I'd say very well, sarcastically. Well, I feel like, okay, I have a question for you at the end of this episode. Okay. So, Derek, Bonnie, and Hotch go into the barn, which is a trailer in a field. Um, and they're like, no communications, like, comms off, whatever. 
the trailer home is empty. There's absolutely nothing inside of it. Did you like how they said that they were doing a... Was this where they said they were doing a soft entry and then they just ran in exactly as usual? No, no, no. That's at the is last the next place. One? Okay. okay. I literally was like... Soft? What does that mean? Okay. Sorry. Um, No, that was very... I literally was like, oh, a soft entry. And then I was like, this is a normal Same. entry. It's a very... normal entry. Okay. <laughs> okay. They call the Gitmo crew. There's nothing. No dispersal. They're looking for Terminal. And Gideon's like, let me know. Okay. So Gideon is talking to Emily and Reed, and he's like, getting him to talk is like the only way to figure this out. I'm going to show him my hand. And Emily and Reed are like, what does that mean? (laughs) And so he walks in, he's like, I'm going to give you the respect of telling you what just happened. We waited a cell location, blah, blah, blah. And his like hands relax. And they like zoom in on his hands relaxing. And then he says something like, Jihad is forever. And then Reed's like, uh, hey, Gideon, he just got very relaxed. And Jason, <laughs> Gideon goes, excuse me for a moment. And then he walks out of the room, shuts the door and goes, get everyone out of there. Now, now, now. <laughs> Screaming into the phone. The guy hears that, right? Like the guy. He in the has other room, like, to have, right? You hear that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a trap. Everyone runs out in the building. He explodes big time. Meanwhile, JJ and Garcia are like chilling. JJ's got like one leg up on the desk, like flipping a pencil. Garcia's like she's just like looking through some papers. Garcia's illegally looking through citizens' texts. It's a it's a vibe. It's a vibe in Garcia's little office today. Just hanging out, like I love them. Just hanging. And then once again, they solve the case. Garcia's like, it's weird that no one's reported like anthrax missing and jj's like would we know if it was like a foreign lab and garcia's like oh my god a foreign lab and that's how they end up figuring out like who the guy was and that's how they find his house i was like wow once again this is just like it's a box he used to work on a boat oh a boat like a box on a boat like Like a a shipping shipping container love that these two are only here when they need to make story progress like it's, they're truly like the comic the relief backbone of this fucking crew backbone they're just like drinking coffee gossiping about the new employee maybe kissing a little while the computer loads solving the case like also can i just say I was so disappointed that there was not a callback to Garcia wanting Prince Harry's phone number. Because the last time she got access to the CIA databases, she was like, I'm going to find his fucking phone number. And JJ was like, Garcia, this is why you're on a list. And this time they got access to the CIA stuff. Not a word about Prince Harry's phone number. Marry a peep. Unfortunately, maybe, have... maybe this was after he had started going bald. And so she was like, actually, no. Wait, isn't Prince Harry... The one who's married to Meghan Markle? You're thinking of Prince William. I am thinking of Prince William. Sorry, all British men are the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, also off topic, I watched Kristen Stewart's movie, Spencer, about Princess Diana. So fucking good. She okay. got nominated for an Oscar and she deserves it. It was amazing. I was okay. glued to that fucking TV. Fuck, I'll, take a, I'll take a look. Yeah, I think it's on Hulu. It's really good. Right. Okay. On the TV, there's a gasping explosion in Annandale, Virginia. And JJ's like, hey, isn't Annandale where Morgan and Hodge are? And Garcia looks at the TV and goes, that's not a gas main explosion. 
And I was like, Our girl Garcia, you know? an explosion expert. <laughs> she can look at like, an explosion and go, that's not a gas main. Like, I was like, how do you know that? Like, how do you, it was a huge explosion. How do you know that? Anyway, she calls Derek and she's like, pick up, pick up, pick up. He answers. I love this, okay? Garcia's crying. She's being like, oh my God. Oh no, that's terrible. And JJ's in the background. AJ Cook, acting. She's going, ah, and like hits her and goes like, come on. Like, ah, are they okay? Like, let's hurry this up. Are they okay? I just like, I just, like laugh. The takes of like, AJ, just like, be impatient. Garcia's sobbing. And JJ's like, girl, tell what is going on. <laughs> um, They're fine. And JJ's like, nice. But they did lose Kenny. Alas. 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 With, okay, Derek and Morgan, Kenny died, rip. Rip. The chatter, the phone call stuff was a setup because they knew they'd be listening. So then they're like, where do we look next? And they're like, I'm not sure. And then as it zooms out, Hotch like cats Bonnie's arm. Hotch is like, sorry Awkward. about your last coworker. Like, sorry. <laughs> sorry about your bestie. <laughs> Also, Kevin Chapman, never again in this episode. No, he's just gone. No, he's just gone. Bye. I had him for a day. Get that union paycheck, I guess. Day player. That's been six. Oh, this is way before Kevin Marks. Or mean, person of interest. interest. Yeah. You, you are, are being, being watched. watched. So then Gideon's like, we were, or Emily's like, yeah, we were right about the trap. One SWAT agent was killed. No anthrax is involved. So it's not the final target. And Jason Gideon goes in and is like, you killed one of my men. It was a trap. And, oh, I love this moment. This guy, can you say his name, Jindala? Such a good fucking actor. Yes, it is Anthony Azizi. Yes, he was amazing. He is so good. He is so, so good in this app. So good in this episode. Um, and he says, like, this is war. We expect casualties, shouldn't you? And Jason Gideon's like, he was a good man. What would you say to his family? And Jindala, he gets all tense again. And he says, I would say, where were you to mourn when my son was murdered? And uh-huh. I was like, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Like Americans, Americans never hear about like the names of the civilians that get killed overseas. Like America doesn't care. Mm-hmm. you know and i really like this moment of humanity where he's like yeah one of your guys died your country killed my son why don't you care about that you know and again like obviously no one like expects to like die on the job but they joined a job where death is a possibility your dea agent doing raids yeah his son was eight in the marketplace. Not the same, Gideon. Reed says, in the first telling of his story, his body language was different, like he was lying. But now he's crying. This time he like had to look away to talk about his son, like that's the truth. And Emily's like, okay, so the story was about his son, not him. So it's a more recent bombing. So he calls Garcia and he says, Reed says, check in the last 10 years, an eight-year-old boy who died because of a U.S. bombing. So we learned that seven years ago, there was a joint U.S.-Israeli strike that went astray, is what Garcia says. So let me give you a little bit of a... Astray. <laughs> yeah, a history. Here's what it is. 
So she mentions Hezbollah, that the government blamed Hezbollah, but it was really like a U.S. Israeli strike. So Hezbollah was a um, an Islamic resistance group, basically, um, in Lebanon. They fought as part of the Lebanese resistance, but it spread to the Middle East and to Europe. And they had other names, such as the Islamic resistance and the Islamic Jihad, but those names were found to be Hezbollah, like under a different name. So it seemed like there were more organizations than there were. So that's mm-hmm. kind of Hezbollah. Um, but I found this news story, actually, that really made me like wince. On September 30th, September 2000, which was about seven years ago from this episode, a Palestinian boy named Mohammed al was shot dead while sheltering behind his father in an alley in the Gaza Strip. And it was caught on video. And initially, the boy's death and the father's wounding was attributed to Israeli soldiers. And it was like iconic, shown around the world and like always on Arabic television. Um, And the Israeli army initially resumed responsibility and apologized. But then two months later, they retracted their apology and said that it was actually like Palestinians who were responsible for the gunshots. And it's still, like, controversial over whether it was the Israeli army or, like, Palestinian terrorists who killed this boy. Hmm. So I thought it was really, and I use interesting in a very not nice way, interesting of Criminal Minds to center a plot around an Egyptian boy seven years ago who was shot, and it might have been Islamic extremists or the U.S. Israeli government. Yeah. It feels like they took this very real event that people would remember, mm-hmm. but but not remember the details of, and used it um, for their fictional show, and they made that boy's father the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Jim Clemente, you're not seeing heaven. I'm going to just say that. I hate that guy. This is like, there are a lot of Criminal Minds episodes that are like not great written, but aren't like offensive to the point where I'm like real world angry. This is not one of those episodes. This episode, it makes me real world angry. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that it was, and the only thing that got me past it was knowing that it was 2006 when this came out and it came out in November. So it was the five year anniversary of nine 11. Yeah. True. true, true. So it makes, it makes, unfortunately makes sense that this is when they would air this, but I hate it. And I think that like, as much as we say, like, but I think it's an important episode to watch because it's kind of a time capsule. It's very much like blatant propaganda. Yeah, and it's like Criminal like, Minds is always a little bit propaganda-y, and yeah. that's always something you need to be cognizant of when you're watching it. But this mm-hmm. is way more blatant propaganda yeah. than usual. And I, I, but I think it's important to watch this mm-hmm. episode and say, so this is where we were in 2006, and there are some people who are still in this place, but I think that a lot of younger people, you know, are not, are not. 
And that's important. Like the fact that we're watching this and these are the criticisms that we have is important, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's important to remember what it is that we are working to move away from, you know? So I hate it. Hate it. But I'm also like, yeah, this was 2006. And in November of 2006, I would have been 13, no, 12. So I was like kind of aware of the of the war, but not really. Yeah. So I probably would have watched this and been like, I don't think all Muslim people are bad, but what this guy's doing is super bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what I would have. I would have been like, it's, I don't like that the government is beating people up, but like, I guess he was a terrorist. Yeah. And I know? think that's the exact, that's the exact reaction this episode is designed to bring out in people. Yeah. Yeah. I was eight years old when this episode came out. Very different circumstances that we are in now, but also in some ways similar because the American empire yeah. never sleeps. Uh, and we are still exploiting countries in the name of capitalism and in the name of profits. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that we, we come from such different backgrounds, you and I, and have kind of ended up in the same place, you know, because I grew up distrusting of the American government and of police that weren't like Hispanic. Yeah. You know, because I grew up very aware of the conflicts with Cuba. You know, I had friends whose families were getting deported. Mm-hmm. I had friends who like lost parents because they tried to like, come over from Cuba on a raft kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. I've always been more distrusting of the government, but I, as, you know, a white passing person, myself never had any real, until I became like visibly trans, I never had any real like fear myself of cops, mm-hmm. you know? And then I don't know what your history with the government is. Well, I grew up in a tiny little farm town in Iowa, which means that um, rednecks abound. And rednecks, surprisingly, less trusting of the government and or police than you would think. Yeah. Because, boy, howdy, if I could... (laughs) If I fucking count all the times when I, like, woke up and saw on, like the local news or something that so-and-so had like led the cops on a chase on the dirt roads and shit. Like <laughs> that's where, that's where I sort of come from. But again, I've mm-hmm. always been like a white kid, middle-class in, you know, the middle of nowhere. Like my struggle certainly was not with like the police. I've always been a white kid, you know? Yeah. Like my struggle was more with like the church and the re- religion, but Sure. I was always rather chill. But again, I like, again, this episode came out in 2006 when I was eight years old. I yeah. wasn't born until fucking 98. And so I feel like there's been a wild shift from when you were a teenager to when I was a teenager. Um, yeah. Because things have changed quite a lot in the last 20 so years. Yeah, I was a teenager from, what, 2007 to 2012, which were some. Some years. Some years. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that's fucking, the time what, 2011 20, 20, to 2018? 
also some wild years. A different set of years, but also a set of years. Huh? A different set of years, but most certainly still years. But yeah. 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 This episode is blatantly more more blatant propaganda than usual, I, I would say. Yeah. Let's All continue. Right. There's our little tangent. Um, one of many. Garcia says that Jindala's name is Jamalabaza, which fortunately for me in my note-taking is still the initials J-A. Mm-hmm. Um, and his son is Amir Abaza, and he was eight when he died. And Jindala says, there will be no peaceful resolution. And I agree with that. Yes. I, I, as an individual, I cannot imagine a solution to these centuries-old conflicts. I just, there isn't one. How do you get literally billions of people to agree on something? I can't get 10 people to agree on something. Yeah, I mean, like, there will be no peaceful end to the American empire, period. Is, I think, just the simplest way to put it. There will be no peaceful end to the American empire. From within or without. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And then Jason Gideon says, it's time for your prayers, the final for the night. So he's like, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can I talk to you tomorrow? And Jindala is like, sure, thanks for asking. Um, And Jamalabaza, Garcia says, Jamalabaza was prison imam in Deerfield, which is a prison in Virginia. And reads like, the CIA didn't know that. And Emily says, they're focused overseas. We're domestic. And that's just a little... Teaser trailer. Um, um, also, not exactly true, but also I don't right. I don't think it's exactly true. I don't think it's exactly false, but I don't think it's exactly true. Right. Either. I mean, isn't it how it's ideally supposed to work? Heavy air quotes and sarcasm. Is isn't it like the CIA are the ones who are generating the intelligence for the FBI to then investigate further? That's what I always assume. I mean, Central Intelligence Agency. And then Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also, then we also have, like, the FBI is more like government police, right? Like, that's just what they are, right? Yeah. Kind, but yeah. then you have, like, Homeland Security. But Homeland Security is relatively new, right? Homeland Security was created because of 9-11. Yeah, so I feel like they're relatively new to the game. So I feel mm-hmm. like you can't, like, count them in when you're, like, talking about what the FBI, CIA, like, original yeah. splitting of duties was. You know what I mean? FBI and CIA, they were both created around the same time, right? The CIA just tried to deny their existence for longer, right? I think the CIA was the 50s? I want to say it was because of 1947, because of World War II. They tried to like, I remember there was something of them actively dampening scripts in Hollywood that had any mention of the CIA in them. Like they were actively trying to dissuade their own existence until like the 70s or 80s, right? The first public mention was in 1945 in a letter to the U.S. Senate. Um, And then in 1946, Truman established the National Intelligence Authority which was the direct predecessor. Um, and then in the 50s, during the Korean War, it was still too small to like do anything. Yeah, it takes time to become the secret police of the United States, you know? Truman wanted a centralized group to organize the information that reached him. The Department of Defense wanted military intelligence and covert action, and the State Department wanted to create global political change favorable to the U.S. The American Empire... 
yeah, there are two areas of the CIA's two areas of responsibility are covert action and covert intelligence. Basically. Um, and then in 48, they started covert action against the USSR. Um, but they kind of sucked, like, didn't have any, like, info about any of these. <laughs> That's, like, literally what it says. It was, like, it was hard for them to generate information. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think, though, they were actively dissuading people from thinking that they existed until, I believe it's the 70s? 70s or 80s, I want to say? That seems right. Emotionally. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. The Bay of Pigs is when the CIA tried to invade Cuba and fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. They were defeated within three days. My abuela was in Cuba at the time of the Bay of Pigs, and she was on a flight back to Miami, and they turned her plane around and put her back in Cuba. (laughs) Sorry. She and her sister, like, went to get ice cream, and while they were in the ice cream shop, um, the Cuban government came in and arrested the owners of the ice cream shop because they had been running an underground radio station to give out real news about the Bay of Pigs. Oh, wow. Did they get free ice cream? (laughs) They had already gotten their ice cream. They were just still there. Okay. Um, (laughs) Imagine jumping the counter in front of the in front of the government to get free ice cream. So you're done with this? Yeah. You're done with this? Hey, are you guys gonna you guys gonna take this? Can I just? Sorry. Uh, We should go back to talking about criminal minds now. Well, no, we're talking about the CIA and the FBI. So apparently, the CIA had information prior to nine eleven, but the FBI didn't connect the dots because it had decentralized field offices so they didn't actually put anything together and then there was a finished report in 2005 that basically showed how they kind of knew and didn't do anything the fbi is the domestic intelligence and security service of the united states and the federal law enforcement agency so it is focused domestically, but it does have 60 legal attache offices abroad. Yeah, basically the CIA was just to get information from like international sources, but also to kind of like centralize everything. And then the FBI is basically like... Government police. Yeah, it says right now, it says here, the FBI's top priorities are to protect the United States from terrorist attacks, protect the United States against foreign intelligence operations. Sure. Combat significant cyber criminal activity. Combat public corruption at all levels. Okay. I definitely believe that. I definitely believe that. Combat transnational criminal enterprises. Combat major white collar crime. Combat significant violent crime. So true. Oh, and it was created in 1901 after the assassination of President McKinney. Little late boys. Little late. Criminal minds. Criminal minds. And Garcia is like the CIA probably like requested info from the FBI, but it's probably still processing. And Reed's like, okay, so Jamal Abaza probably recruited people in jail as a prison imam. He got people of different ethnicities who felt they were invisible, groups that traditional groups didn't accept, and mostly like already American citizens. And they're the militant Islamic society. And then Gideon is like, they're homegrown terrorists. I feel like the phrase homegrown terrorists is like a little bit of a oxymoron. Like, aren't you just a criminal? 
if you do things in your own country. You're a domestic terrorist. I feel like homegrown criminals is a very specific buzzword that they're trying to use here. I think so too, but I also think that they are trying to say these are American citizens. Mm -hmm. Like, we have allowed American citizens to be corrupted. Which, the, the, that, that narrative of American citizens being corrupted by outside forces is wild because there is no system more corrupting to a person than American capitalism and fucking American societal structures. It's like, the call is coming from inside the house. It's always been coming from inside the house. Okay, so the September 11th hijackers, there were 19 men associated with Al-Qaeda. 15 of them were Saudi Arabian. Two were from the United Arab Emirates. One was from Lebanon and one was from Egypt. So they weren't homegrown. So, so I that's think, why they try and make such a specific point of like, these are homegrown terrorists. Yeah. These are not foreigners who have come to America. These are Americans that have been corrupted by a foreigner. He's also recruiting people who are already in prison. People who yes. have already been we can assume in some way, shape, or form, probably failed by the American system in general. Yes. Writ large. 100%. Like, the call is coming from inside the house, and it has always been coming from inside the house. It's almost like if you treated people well, they wouldn't then turn around and try and kill you, you know? It's, it's just like, there is- Like, why would any of these people have any loyalty to America? Literally, we're going to get put on some sort of list for this episode, Bestie. <laughs> oh, no. If I disappear. <laughs> I'm already probably on there. agent watching me. <laughs> I just think that, like, they're trying to be like, oh, my God, it's a foreigner corrupting these, like, poor people who were put in prison because the American system already largely failed them. And specifically when you realize that his end goal was fucking up capitalism. Like, don't, aren't you... Why Why are you surprised that that message would resonate with people who are in prison because the system of capitalism is one of the most invasive systems in American life that keeps us fucking down? Like, none of this is shocking. None of this. I also feel like, you know, Criminal Mind has such sympathy for, like, sex workers as people who were, quote-unquote, failed by the system and forced to sell themselves to survive, etc. But, like, how is that in criminal minds eyes different from like somebody arrested for robbery they were also disenfranchised and had to resort to a crime to survive but is it because they're like men of color so it yeah. doesn't count they're not like, like pretty white women forced exactly. into sex work exactly. these, are, these are men of color islamic men of color so they are just born to be bad Ugh. it's just so again as always the call is coming from inside the house mm-hmm. when it's down to like who hates American capitalism the most. It's the call good. is coming from inside the house. I know. I know. And I, I feel especially in recent years, we're really seeing that. Mm-hmm. Not quite gotten there. And especially I, I wouldn't trust Jim Clemente to make a fine point if it slapped him in the face. Because <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ, this episode. I mean, he's like an FBI guy who went into Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy for sure. That's Definitely a cool dude. Definitely a cool guy. 
Back to Criminal Minds. Back to Criminal Minds. Okay. Jason Gideon and Emily and Reed go to the cafeteria where the CIA, CIA guys are just like hanging out. Also, I do love that Guantanamo Bay has like a manager and then like two dudes. <laughs> and a cafeteria with a foosball table in the corner. <laughs> I also love that these dudes are always like, the FBI guy is wearing like a polo shirt and like a nice radio. The CIA dudes are in fucking like camo, camo. pants and solid <laughs> color t-shirts. Because they're the guys who beat up people. Yeah, the meatheads. Not like the FBI does that or anything. <gasps> yeah. Okay. And they're like, hey, CIA guys, do you know Jamal Abaza? And the one guy is like, yeah, he was an imam in Cairo, but he like fell off the grad. The grad. The grad. He was the grad. The grad. <laughs> they're like, yeah, he was an imam in Cairo, but he fell off the grid about seven years ago. And Jason Gideon is like, that's because Jamal Abiza is Jindallah. He's been over here planting sleeper cells. And the CIA is like, what? <laughs> that's Jamal Abiza? Also, like, they just, like, do they know every Islamic, um, like, every Islamic person? Who fell off of the grid and has no prior, like convictions yeah it was before he was radicalized so he was like hey you guys know this guy and they were like oh yeah he used to be an imam seven years ago i know you guys are the central intelligence agency but that's a step too far why is his name in your noggin (laughs) why is his name in your noggin keep his name out your noggin i think we're supposed to assume that that means that he had been doing things beforehand Mm -hmm. um and so then reads like oh do you know the MIS, the Militant Islamic Society, and the CIA guys are like, they're homegrown? Emily is like, we need your info about the anthrax that went missing abroad. And the CIA is like, hmm, ha. And Gideon's like, I told you information because we need to work together to stop anthrax. And this is why I have a note where I said, Gideon, you literally work with the CIA. We learned that. Yeah, he works with the CIA. He moonlights from for the CIA for funsies. We learned that season one, episode 21, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Secrets and lies or truth and lies, or whatever. Yeah. Gideon, you could be like, hey, buddy, I've already crossed lines. I do work with the CIA. But he doesn't because the criminal minds editors forgot. That he moonlights. Yeah. As a CIA agent. And then the CIA guy's finally like, okay, yeah, sure. And then Gideon calls Penelope and JJ and is like, here's the info. And then I wrote, Emily is hot. Clearly the sexy one. I just like that it's Emily's in this like tight little shirt with her dark hair and her big eyes. All cute and adorable. And then it cuts to Penelope on the computer and JJ with like two mugs of coffee being like, hey, I brought your coffee. What you learning? It's like, (laughs) hey, babe, I'm your butch wife. I brought you coffee. It literally goes from like besties who solve crimes and then Emily who's like, I'm hot and mysterious and like white, but also kind of foreign a little bit, you know? Yeah, they try, they really try and play with that. And I'm like, you know, this isn't the serve you think it is. JJ brings her wife coffee. JJ has an FBI mug and Garcia has like a big yellow mug and I enjoy it. And then Garcia's getting a bunch of like info and JJ goes, they sure do generate intelligence. Which I think is a dig at how often they beat people up. 
I think it's a dig at them having sneaky ways of getting information. They sure do generate intelligence. Am I right? Best? They sure do. But I'm... T- <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hate it. Okay, that's why I said they're comic relief. It's weak, but it's there. They tried. They tried. Jamal Abisa slept well for the first time since he got to Gitmo. And Jason Gideon's like, I'm letting you pray. We receive comfort from our prayers. Jamal Abisa's like, wow, you put us on the same level. Like, since I've been here, I'm less than human. And Gideon's like, in your jihad, I'm less than human. Again, I, weird. Uh, okay. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, and Gideon's like, I want to understand you. And Jamal Abisa's like, and if I can't get you to understand. And Gideon's like, well, it's bad for me. Anyway, I'll leave you to your midday prayers. And okay, back to JJ and Garcia. They're like looking through all this info. And Garcia's like, or JJ says, some of these are so new. Like some of this info is so new, it's not even verified yet. And Garcia's like, yeah, but nothing that's been established is helpful. And so Garcia's like, oh, hey, there's this company, Genomune, and they may have had a theft, the Dutch company. And JJ's like, how much? And Garcia's like, 20 grams. That could kill a quarter of a billion people. And then they like, Turn to look at each other and look away in sequence. And I wrote, cute girl stunned eye contact. Because <laughs> that's what it was. Do you think it was interesting how, do you think it was interesting? Penelope had a lot of, like, she put a lot of emphasis on, like, they may have had a theft. They're still doing inventory. They may have had 20 grams or whatever stolen. Like, do you think that's weird that they were like, they may have? It felt like weird that they used that extra line of like, they're still doing inventory, but. I think that they wanted to emphasize that the U.S. government doesn't just blindly believe information. They verify everything. But in this case, the theft just happened. So we have to chase every lead possible. Mm -hmm. But normally we would only go through the verified tips. Yeah, that's also kind, kind of, of like what a, I got it when I kind yeah. of read it as. It was like, a, we have 13 hours before the terrorist attack or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Like, we have 32 hours before the killer strikes again, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Even though they are already working on a clock because of the next crescent moon or whatever, like, reference that they had earlier. Yeah. Which doesn't actually make sense, but okay. Why doesn't it make sense? Because um the... It just, to me, it felt weird that they were like, the crescent moon, the crescent moon. And then it was just like, in the middle of the day? I think they were planting them there and then would later remote control them. It was just like, when the terrorists time their attack, they're like, if they're doing it when the crescent moon rises, which would be like after sunset, but who would be in the mall after sunset, the best time to do it would be in that morning when everybody was there. It just like, I don't know. It just like felt weird to me that they were like crescent moon, the moon night. You know what happens when the sun goes down night, the moon is here. And then they're just (laughs) in broad daylight in this fucking mall. Like nobody's fucking problem. Like, I don't know. It felt weird. Yeah. They were setting it up. I think when they caught the guys, they had had like six or seven hours left. Not a lot, but you're right. You're right. It should have been nighttime. So Reed is like, hey, Jindala seems real chill. That could make him harder to read. And Emily's like, is that better? And Gideon goes, I hope so. 
And Emily's like, you hope so, but what if? And Gideon is just like, gone. And Emily's like, uh. She's just like, he hopes so? He hopes so? Um, And Reed's like, you just gotta trust him. And Emily makes this face where she goes, it is so clear. She goes, no, I don't trust anyone. Yeah, it's very much putting "Mm -hmm." like trust issues and just like issues with authority, like very much there. And I'm like, okay, get it, bitch, get it. They give her like issues of authority immediately. Like she's super like, like me, please, like me, let me do job, please. But then she's also like, that's not a fucking answer. And then she's like, she's like, no, I don't trust this guy. I've never seen him work before. Like she does have that. Like I like that they give hints that this kind of like cheeky shy thing is a bit of a a fake bit of an act bit of an act and she just dropped it very quickly yeah jj is still in penelope's office and she's like hey girl the cia is giving us their dutch terror watch list and garcia's checking it and jj's like they should centralize this stuff and garcia says nah no one wants the other kids peeing in their sandbox and jj literally like scrunches her face like ew and then gives garcia like the biggest side eye for the compliment to be fair, it's so a weird true. comment. It's kind of gross. Um, but also, I do use the phrase, my sandbox now, very often. Do you really? Yeah. Interesting. Have you never heard they, that before? I don't think so. I always... No, I mean, I've heard it. I've, like, I've heard it as, like, you know, video games when they are, like, sandboxes. No. I always do, like, so there's canon, yeah, but this is my sandbox now. You're oh, coming into my house? This is my sandbox. I take cannon and I just put a bunch of sand all over it and we like ruffle it up and then sometimes something else happens. You know what I mean? Interesting, interesting, interesting. My sandbox now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That can't just be a weird Midwesternism, is it? If it's not a weird Midwesternism, if you've heard this phrase before or if you're like, this is a stupid nothing phrase, you should add us on Twitter at WheelsUpPod or fuck it, email us, wheelsuppod, or what is it, wheelsup at brightcrownmedia.com? Yeah, it's in our Twitter bio. Just fucking straight up email us. Garcia find, finds the guy. And, oh, I wanted to say this here. So when Garcia says no one wants other kids peeing in their sandbox, I thought this was interesting because um, after 9-11, it was found out that the CIA had information that could have helped prevent... 9/11. The 9-11 attacks, but because of how decentralized things, I think it was the FBI, because of how decentralized their offices were, the information wasn't gathered and put out until 2005. So I think that this is an interesting like critique of that. Okay. That like big crimes do go unnoticed if um, it's not centralized. And I think it's important that like if the BAU hadn't like stepped in, this would not have happened, you know? Yeah. Okay, so Garcia finds the guy. She finds finds the guy. He came over four days ago under his name, his American name, I guess. Um, Or Dutch name, because he was Dutch. Wasn't he? Oh, sure. Well, I think he had, I think once he joined, once he became Muslim, he gave himself a Muslim name. Yes. And so this was his pre-Muslim name. Um, But he came over four days ago, so that's how recently the um, anthrax Anthrax made it into the country. But also, like, how in a post nine eleven world do you bring anthrax to America from Europe? Yeah, how twenty grams of it, which I don't think is like 
big size wise? No, but I like, don't think that would be big size wise, but I feel like anthrax. What do you, what do you put that in to like disguise mask? the fact that it's anthrax? How do you bring anthrax? Again, we're like putting a lot of emphasis on anthrax, but like two grams can kill 20 million people. It's a lot. So he has 20 grams of this on an airplane from Europe. In again, a post 9-11 world when the TSA is as wild as they are. Into DC. Into DC! Now we know that TSA is mostly like security theater and such, but I feel like anthrax is a known enough compound that they were like, let's just run a quick scan on everything. Like, I feel like, like that's a known enough poison how, that like, I don't know. I don't, but like, what container is sealed enough to contain the anthrax, but casual enough to get through airplane security? That's it's my just, question. Like, I could see him going into, like, some other country in North America and, like, maybe slipping it past a border guard in, like, a South American country and just coming up, like, by land. But, like, on an airplane? Anthrax? I don't know. It's just, like, to me, it's, like, the TSA is so wildly in their fuck shit all the time. Like... It just seems illogical to me. Um, JJ calls Derek and tells him about this guy. So they go to his house. There's no, the infrared doesn't show anybody inside. And the guy says, we're going to do a soft entrance in case it's booby trapped. But then they, like, they don't shout when they enter. But other than that. They still bust the door down. Like, they, they don't, like, pick the, the lock. They fucking bang the door down and, like, start yelling out clear as soon as they, like, Whatever. soft? <laughs> what, what is the soft here? They find a room full of people who have been shot and killed execution style in the forehead. It's five deceased males. There's only anthra- anthrax residue, but they found tags for backpacks. So they're already on the move. And then we see this man in a white van going to McLean, Virginia. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Gideon and Reed both go into... I love this. Gideon takes Reed into Jindala, his like room. And it's like, but Why? And then Jindala is like, has the sun set? Uh, and Gideon's like, yeah. Uh, and then he's like, this is Agent Reed. And Jindala is like, oh yeah, we can talk. I have a little time. And then it's silent. He's like, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote that he's like super arrogant now. He's like, yeah, let's hang out. Let's do whatever you want. Let's hang out. Y'all want to play cards? <laughs> like... And then he's like, so the jihad will end when Allah wills it. And Gideon's like, well, when will you know that Allah wills it? And he goes, when the jihad ends. <laughs> it ends when Allah wills it. And we'll know Allah wills it because it's ended. Uh, and Gideon's like, I've got an ambition to make. Reed has been watching you to figure some stuff out. And Reed is immediately like, Gideon, no, this is a terrorist. He's like, he's like, I came in here to like observe i didn't come in here to talk guys i thought this was the group presentation i thought we agreed that you would do all the talking yeah and then gideon and then um jamal abisa is like well what'd you learn what'd you figure out and reed says your name's jamal abisa your son died in 2003 hello seven years ago what and then he says you've been recruiting people into fundamental 
Ist Islam. And Jamal Abbas is like, ah, yeah, you got me. True facts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All of those things are correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. And Gideon's like, so we know it's going to be attacked, but we don't know where they're going to attack. We're gonna, they're going to attack somewhere, though. And Jamal Abbas is like, what? Wild, wow. <laughs> I'm in here, Gideon. What am I going to do from in here? And Jason Gideon is like, come on, there's still time. You can tell. And then he's like, what? And he puts his hand to his ear. Like he's like listening to the speaker, which like we know is bullshit because he like hasn't done that any other time. And he's like, what? What happened? Huh? And he and Reed like leave and Reed like shoots a glance over his shoulder like, oh no. Oh, and no. Jamal Abis is like, eh, heh, 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 heh. and they like open the door and on the TV, I laughed at this. It's like, there's been a terrorist attack, blah, blah, blah. But then like the scroll just says like terrorist attack. There's no location. There's no information because they don't know. So they literally just leave it blank. If I saw that, I'd be like, "That's fake as shit." Where the <laughs> fuck is that? Where, where, like, hello? Like, <laughs> yeah, it was literally just like Penelope yeah. with some fucking stock footage and After Effects in 20 minutes. She was like, yeah. "This has got to be good enough." <laughs> She's like, "It's fine. He won't see it that close." Uh, and then like Emily is next to the TV, looking all worried, and Reed is like peeking in through the doorway, like all stressed, and. Jam- um, Jamal Abisa's like, wow, what a coincidence that this happened. What a coinky dink. <laughs> wow, so weird. You told me I was going to do something and this thing happened. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gideon's like, you perverted your faith to justify murder. And Jamal Abisa goes, now we're finally chatting, Gideon. And I was like, thank you. Now we know Gideon's truly like racist. And Gideon's like, you say the US is a puppeteer? No, you're the puppeteer. You manipulate the people who believe the most into dying for you. And I was just like, Gideon, that's America. That's what the American Gideon. like army is. Gideon, do you know? Do you know anything? Does Gideon? anything about the history of the people he works for at all? Gideon doesn't give two goddamn shits about anyone or anything. Like, learn the history, Gideon. All he cares about is his precious fucking American empire. Like, Jesus, God. Literally. Talk less uh, about and then, sir. Jason Gideon is someone to me who, like, is very focused on the present. And, like, most of the time in the show, that's seen as, like, well, he can't, yeah, strength. He can't, like, remember all of the people who have died that he hasn't been able to save. And he can't think about all those people that are still out there killing. But in this case, it's very apparent that, like, he has those blinders up for the whole world. Yeah. You know, and for, like, whatever reason he joined the FBI back in, like, the fucking 60s, like, he was already playing into that first world war ritual- i mean it was him and rossi together so yeah. it would have been after vietnam so the 70s that they joined yeah they already joined riding that post-war high mm-hmm. and now this is just like another war that he has put his blinders on for which is yeah. really not nice gideon yeah. seems like the type of dude who is like really knowledgeable about like the civil war and then nothing else you know like one of those dudes who's like oh yeah i know about american wars and then quotes to you simple facts about the civil war 
And you're like, okay, so like, what about like the insidious reach of the American empire across the globe? Like, what about the imperialism the American, like, America engages in? What about, you know, like... Yeah, and he's like, I stop serial killers. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but for the FBI, Gideon. For the FBI. And like, here's the thing, again, this episode is like blatant propaganda, but it's like, usually it's okay because it is them stopping serial killers you know them stopping these worst of the worst kind of people and you're like okay it's okay if the government does a little overreach here because this man is murdering people actively you know what i mean like this episode though it just feels so fucking weird because they're like mask off we're a propaganda machine let's go yeah for sure and also like this next line that jamal abisa says is so telling he says does your president go into battle or does he send your children yeah. And Gideon has no response to this. Gideon says the people at the small are innocent. Gideon, you can't counter that because that's exactly what it is. People join the military because either they're like diehard American loyalists or they want the benefits that come from joining the military, having a place to live, food, college education, a sense salary, of community in a way. A yeah, exactly. Of, yes brotherhood etc um and Gideon can't counter that you know and it's one of those things and and this is where I I don't have a firm stance there are a lot of people who criticize anybody for joining the army because you're like contributing to that imperialism and like you might have to go like kill someone even if you're not pro American whatever Mm -hmm. but like I can see people who are literally like either I die on the street or I do this thing I'm not proud of and join the military to survive, you know, like, yeah, no, I mean, I also came from a very like poor farm town again in like the middle of nowhere. Like there are kids in high school who hated the fucking cops and hated the fucking government, but still joined the army because it was that or fucking work on your dad's farm for no money. And like, at least like the military, like there's a reason military recruiters go after low-income kids with no other options. It's because they are the most, the people who have the yeah. most to gain from joining this. Yeah. And it is like, absolutely, I, I don't I don't feel like it's like those kids' fault that they get caught up in the U.S. war machine because the U.S. war machine is going to keep on fucking going whether they individually are in there or not. Now, granted, exactly. there's some caveats to that, but, like, there's a reason right. that, like, recruiters hit, poor areas the most because they are the ones who need a way out. Yeah. And I think it, it speaks more to America's failure to provide for its youth than it does for like the youth for picking the best of the terrible options. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like I, I, when he says like you send your children to fight, I believe that even though we don't have a draft, America is still, well, in some ways, purposefully failing its youth to get recruits for its military machine. Yeah, we do have a you draft. Know? We don't have mandatory service. Is as I think. That, sorry, that's what I meant. Yes. We're we're not actively drafting. Yes, also that. Meant, yeah. Um, right. We don't have mandatory service. We're not. No one's being drafted right now. Um, but America is failing in some very specific ways that lead to young people feeling like they have no other option but to join the military. Yes. So America is really just on so many levels feeding children to the war machine. And I think Jamal Abiza is 100% correct here. 
Yes. Especially because so many of our presidents nowadays have not served in the military. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think we need a bunch of military presidents. They're but... already war criminals by natures of being the president. So right. like, it's okay right. if you didn't, you know. <laughs> yeah, you didn't shoot anybody. Yeah. Slow it's bar. okay if you didn't go through basic. All right. I get it. You're already, right. you're still committing the big war crimes anyway. Major leagues here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I really agree with this. And the fact that Gideon does not have a comeback is incredibly telling. Mm-hmm. Gideon's response is, well, the people in that mall are innocent. And also, like, how do you know that, Gideon? Like, how do you know there are no veterans or active service members or, I don't know, terrible racists at the mall? You know what I mean? He's just it's like, well, they're not. It's outside of D.C. There's probably, throw a stone, you'll probably hit a war yeah. criminal. Like, not to be rude, <laughs> but like, yeah. it's D.C. That's the thing, it's like, he really, Gideon has this, I, I think this is an interesting conversation where Jamal Abiza is like, you are living in a culture and you are participating in American consumerism and perpetuating American capitalism. And by the nature of that, you are guilty. And that's a, that is an extremist feeder take. Like that is, you know, when I went to the mall at 12 with my $30 in tips from the ice cream store I worked at, I wasn't actively trying to harm um, innocent Islamic civilians, but I was also, I was participating in American capitalism. But Gideon's point is, well, the mall is in a war zone and these people are not soldiers and therefore have no connection to your what conflict. happened to Jamal Abiza. Yeah. Yeah. To your conflict, which I don't think is true. Yeah. Is untrue because Yeah. The ways that capitalism and, you know, the war machine are inextricable are linked is like so goddamn many. Yeah, and especially I think in two thousand and six when it was much more I don't know if accepted or um unknown or I don't know what's the right word, but I feel like now people, good people are much more conscious consumers, you know, and trying to make better choices. And I think in 2006, I don't know how much that was happening. Yeah. I also think wasn't 2006 before the recession hit. Yep. That was 2008. Yeah. And then we had, we were in a boom. Another one in 20. 15 or whatever you know like yeah i feel like it was like the height of consumerism yeah people buying houses they had no intention of ever seeing yeah and it's just maybe it's just because i grew up and got a political conscious within the last 10 years but i feel like there has overall been a larger shift in the way that we view capitalism and consumer culture um yeah and there's a whole lot of obviously like political cultural like things at play here but i feel like it is viewed differently like a mall is viewed differently now than it was in 2006 especially because malls are like dying out right yeah i was just gonna say that like oh my gosh i watch so many youtube channels like about the depth of malls and like the abandoned retail giants like sears is closing you know and i think it you know, on the one hand, it's like sad because it's like it's nice to go somewhere and like touch something before you buy it. But on the other hand, like, God, the decadence of walking into a room full of pillows and blankets and all this kind of stuff when you know that in other countries, 
there is active war, you know? Yeah. So like, I think, I think now that probably because of the internet and things like TikToks, like the number of times in the recent weeks, I've been scrolling through TikToks and coming across live footage of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's much harder to kind of like put on those American blinders and go to Macy's and spend $300 on new dishware. Yeah. You know, so I think it it has changed in that way. We do try and support small businesses and businesses run by people of color and et cetera, et cetera. It's just, yeah. at its core, they, they do, again, this, like, sort of, not, like, red flag, but, like, like, juke, it's not about religion. It's actually about capitalism and the way that, <laughs> you know capitalism in general strips countries of their resources and throws them into political conflict for profit period like that's it right and that's mostly of like what jamal is like saying is Mm -hmm. he like that sort of stripping a country of its resources so that you can make money in a in an american mall it it, that's like a very like well-documented pipeline and he's like I'm going to fuck up that specific thing. And so they really try, I think because they are a Hollywood TV show done by CBS, um, I feel like they have to like force that whole like religious angle on it when that does play into it. But they kind of have to like mask their critique, air quotes, of capitalism. Yeah. Under that guise of like religion. In this case, I wonder what would have been the takeaway in 2006 from this final reveal where Jamal Abiza says, you know, the infidels will fall at the hands of the righteous. And it's like, you know, America, you harden targets like power plants, but you leave your economy wide open and I'm going to destroy this mall. And the next time a giant shopping center opens, people will think twice. You know, and I think that's true because like, I feel like we're much more conscious now about like, like when I hear this, I'm like, you're right. I don't want to give a bunch of money to this like mass produced, you know, clothing that's made by people in sweatshops getting paid absolutely nothing. Like I'd rather spend a little bit more and have to save up for something nice made by someone I know is doing their best not to hurt other people by making this product, you know? And I I think in 2006, when he said this, I wonder how easy it would have been to, ha ha ha, Amazon is doing great things for the country. What are you talking about? Yeah, Macy's is a staple. What are you talking about? Whereas nowadays we can kind of like see the damage some of these warehouse type stores are doing. And even like within America, like how many times has a Walmart opened and killed a town? Like yeah. it's not even good inside of America. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I, I don't think dropping anthrax on a bomb in the middle of the suburbs is maybe the right way to do it. But on the other hand, I kind of agree with Jamal Abiz's argument here. You know, yeah, his larger argument is a good point. Just to just to point out here, I'm pulling. I pulled up the now. This means nothing really, because um, I by and large hate IMDb reviews. But um, 
IMDb reviews for this episode are rather positive. Um, it has, I believe, an 8.3 overall. The people who bothered to actually write reviews, I found one <laughs> from 2006 and one from 2012 that both gave it 10 out of 10 stars. Both are dog shit reviews, actually, because um, I think you and I are going to give this up episode a much different score than 8.3 but that's sort of the general gist of where yeah. the people are at yeah well, um okay so we're almost done we're done um we see emily and gideon walk off because he said giant shopping center reed calls garcia and is like shut off the feed jamal abiza realizes what he did Emily's calling Hotch, and she's like, it's a large shopping center opening. They've got about an hour. So it's an hour before. So you're totally right. It's the middle of the day, but they keep talking about the crescent. Yeah, and he um, even, like, when they open up the window or whatever behind them, they leave this door open. He's like, sunlight? I thought it was night. Or something yeah. like that. Like, he's like, because... has the sun not set? And he's yeah. like, yeah, no, it hasn't. Because Gideon was playing with his perception of time because again right. this man is a fucking prisoner who hasn't probably seen the sun since he got in this fucking building like okay also like yeah you lock someone in a room without a clock he's gonna have no idea how long he's been standing there exactly yeah <laughs> yeah um so then derek is like they're at the bigu derek is like do, you know, do we know where we're going and jj shows up and goes it's the opening of the usa mall the third largest in the country smack in the middle of mclean virginia and it zooms in on Hotch. She's like, oh, no, not the mall. Um, and then it cuts to the mall. We see like a grand opening banner. There's like a ton of people. It's not a big mall. It doesn't look like a big third largest in the country. Okay. So then they're driving and Derek is like, Hotch, why are you so stressed? Like you look like you did a, a ghost. And Hotch is like, Haley and Jack are going through the mall. And Derek's like, you got to call them. Which, mm -hmm. which is a breach of security. Continue. Hotch is like, it's a breach of security. I can't call them. And Derek is like, Derek goes, if you lose Haley and Jack, you won't have a life. And I just want to put a pin in <laughs> that one. <laughs> in that <laughs> yep. So then he calls, there's no answer. Um, but also I wrote, there's 20 grams of anthrax. I thought it could kill like a quarter billion people. Like, if even if Haley, even if they leave the mall, everybody is dying. Yeah, how, there's not a quarter of a billion people in the U.S., right? Or especially in the McLean, Virginia area, right? No. Um, like, that's a whole US, seaboard's worth of people, right? That's a, I mean, it's a lot of people. There are 332 million. Quarter of a billion would be, what, 250 million-ish? Yeah, so it, it would kill everybody in the U.S. Pretty much. That much anthrax. I mean, I don't think it can travel that far. I think that's part of, like, it. Is that it wouldn't travel very far? Maybe it's like would be trapped inside the mall, but it would really kill those people in the mall. <laughs> it would super kill those people in the mall. I mean, I guess I guess they don't have to use all of it for this mall, but it was just like, okay, Haley and Jack leave the mall, but like, it's an anthrax in the air. They could put it in the water, but you don't know how they're distributing it. Yeah, Hunch calls them. He doesn't yeah. get an answer, but he calls. And that's also a little pin we're going to put in for later, for a later episode also involving Anthrax and JJ wanting to call her family. But we'll put a fucking pin in that bitch for now. <sighs> yeah. Okay. They're at the mall. Everyone's running. The Bonnie opens a van. There's a dead guy loading dock security. Can't evacuate. It's going to be mass panic. 
Hotch goes to the security camera room and he's like, where is that? The roof. Can they get in? And the guy's like, not unless they're going through the air vents. And then he, Hotch calls Morgan and is like, the roof. The roof. The, the roof, roof is, is on fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Morgan puts a mask on. He runs up to the roof. The men are setting it up. Also, there are a bunch of like young men of color. Mm-hmm. And they just get mowed down. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to talk about that, apparently, if we're criminal minds. There's so much to say. Um, and then one of them runs and Derek shoots him and he falls through the glass roof. And he's like on the ground, all like shot. And you can see while they're filming him, a kid like goes towards <laughs> the guy and then gets like pulled away. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Some 12 year old boy is like, what? Is he shot? <laughs> How weak is the is the glass in the fucking I was, skylights? I was like one hailstorm. And that place is, it is over for that bitch. What? Like, why is that not really intense class? I, whatever. Um, now we're at Hotch's house. On the TV, it's like, there was an attempted robbery armed at robbery the new mall. Armed robbery at the new mall. Blah, blah. And also, Haley is so stupid. Hotch comes in and Haley's like, oh my god, honey, there was a robbery at the new mall. I'm so glad I didn't go. I was like, Haley... When he left you yesterday, he was talking about a terrible war. Is that how? Why is your first question not like, oh, you're home? The terror alert? How'd that go? <laughs> how, like, did, how did our country's national security go? It Did that go good? Did it go yeah, good doing your very important job for the government? Yeah, and he's like, no. nah, fuck that shit. And he's like, oh, hey, welcome back. I didn't go. I wanted us to go as a family. And then she's like, is everything okay? And he goes, everything's perfect. I love that this little baby they have playing Jack just slams a toy in his face. Continuously. And honestly, yeah. Yeah. But like it like when a baby likes you and puts their favorite toy in your face, you're like, yeah. yeah. You're like, okay. Thanks. Thank you for giving me your favorite toy. (laughs) I know you like to put this in your mouth. Thank you for trying to shove it in my mouth as well. Now we're best (laughs) friends, I guess. You know? Like it felt very I I just like that. I love it when men get slapped in the face by children. <laughs> I just think it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. Last so scene? this, so on the plane, this time Emily's sitting next to Reed. So like she earned a spot at the four chairs. It, she earned a spot at the table. Yeah. And Emily is like, when did you know you were going to have to trick him? Right away. Kitty is like, duh. There's no way that phone was accidentally registered. He was so smart. He wanted them there to confirm that he was successful. And that's when Gideon started moving up the time of the prayers. And then Reed's like, it really was a chess game. And Gideon goes, the jihad never ends. And then there's like a moment of frowning. And then Reed loses at chess. And is like, I'm going to go take a nap. And he just like gets up and leaves. Um, And then Gideon's like, Emily, do you play? And she's like, yeah, I play. And then they start be setting up the the chess. The chess. Can we also talk about the fact that sorry, this is something I noticed that really pissed me off and I was like, what the fuck are you doing, Reed? Reed goes to the couch, takes one of the pillows and puts it under his head. He just like kicks the other one with his feet. He doesn't move it. He doesn't like put it between his legs. He's just like, I will floor. kick this pillow with my shoes. Buddy? <laughs> Aren't you cleaner than that? Well, James, scale of one to ten, what are you ranking this episode? This is a hard one. 
It's a hard one. Oh, this was the question I had for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think this episode was poorly written or did it just have bad things to say? Because like, I did think the pacing was pretty good. Clearly it gave us a lot to think about. You know, I, I think, think that- probably had more troublesome things to say than it had terrible writing techniques. Yeah. I think on a technical level, this episode was like fine. I think on an ideological level, this was a fucking mess. I agree. And so I'm going to give it a five. You're going to give it a five. Okay. I understand why you're giving it just like a solid middle of the road. If we think of our ranking system as like a, a combination of the technological, of the technical and the actual. Because I... I do always watch this episode. I watch it. It makes me mad. I say the things we said at my television screen. But it's an episode that gets my attention and keeps it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. I might. I will go slightly lower than you. I will go with a four. Because I feel like like technically, and when I say technically, I mean like actors saying their lines and cameras getting what they're supposed to and the lighting looking good. I think technical stuff is much easier to get right than the other shit. So I feel like for me, the technical bar is like a four, you know? That's fair. Maybe a three, actually. I think I'm going to give it a three because I feel like baseline good technical things is like a three to me if everything else is garbage but your actors are well lit and they are on they are centered on screen i'm like that's a three you know yeah that's fair that's what i'm doing yeah i think i'm just keeping it at a five because i have so much to say about it yeah that's fair uh did they say the name of the episode title within the title or within the episode Lessons learned no no they also did not say wheels up he said car leaving in four right mm-hmm. yeah damn we're on a bad streak after we got our two wheels up earlier this season. We've been on a little three down slide here. The next time I know they say wheels up is 217. So hopefully they say between. Here's hoping. Next time on Afterbite, we have season two, episode 11, sex, bestie? birth, hey bestie. death. What? This is not Afterbite. Next time on Wheels Up, our Criminal Minds podcast, season two, episode 11, sex, birth, death. This is an episode. Kind of a batshit episode, but we will get into all of that next time on Wheels Up. If you'd like to find us, you can do so at Wheels Up Pod on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Tumblr. You can also, if you want to just like directly email us, you can do so. It's wheelsup at brightcrownmedia.com. I literally have that on my phone. You will go directly to me. Wow. A direct line to B. Who would have, who could want such a thing? Who could want for more? (laughs) That's it for this time. James, do you have an ending quote for me, bestie? No, not really. Not this time, not this episode. There will be no peaceful end to the American empire. That is just a fact. No. No. Bye. There will be no peaceful resolution. That's my ending quote. Bye. Bye.
watched. 